Good afternoon, everyone. Good to feel all the energy in the room. Probably happens when we're talking about funding. Okay, uh, I want to welcome everyone back. Uh, the board was in closed session at noontime today. There's nothing to report. And so now we'll reconvene an open session. And this afternoon it is to conduct the physical year 2023-24 budget hearings. So I'm going to turn it to our county administrator to let us know the afternoon schedule and then we'll go from there. All right, good afternoon supervisors. And we are looking forward to the public comments and uh, the pres presentation of this budget to you over the next three days. And so I just wanted to go over our agenda for the next three days of budget hearings. So we are gonna start off this afternoon with public comments. After public comments, uh, the CAO's office is gonna give a number of updates, one on the overall budget, one on our racial equity program, and then lastly on our continuous improvement and strategic planning. Um, after that, at 3.30, we are scheduled to go over the initial recommendations of our nonprofit partnership program. And then at the end of today, we will recess until 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. So tomorrow morning, we'll start the morning with um, public comments again, uh, as well as the five-year capital improvement plan, largely involving uh, highlights around our facility improvements, and then an update on our roads capital program as well. We will recess for lunch, and then in the afternoon, we'll have the proposed open space budget, uh, the flood control budget, and then an overview of the special district budgets. And then lastly, we'll recess until Thursday afternoon. And Thursday afternoon is meant to be the wrap up of the budget. Uh, so we will start once again with public comments. Uh, we'll present our nonprofit partnership final recommendations and any follow up items that we've learned over the next three, day, uh, next three days. And then this will be the opportunity for your board to make closing comments and then formally take action on adopting the county's budget. So with that high level overview of our agenda, I'm looking forward to the public comments and the opportunity to provide an overview of this budget. Great, thank you very much. So we're gonna move now to general public comment uh, at this time. And then after the presentations this evening, afternoon, there'll be another time at the end for public comment. So. Welcome, Eva. And anyone else who would like to make comments now, just general, uh, now's the time to come to the podium. Yes, please. The public, this is a largely white audience, and they may not have been well informed by their local media about the sheriff's civilian oversight process. The sheriff's civilian oversight working group excluded specifically, they specifically excluded any Latinos from the canal and any black residents of Marin City. Pastor Leggett is not a resident of Marin City. It was heavily weighted uh, with homeowners, um, which in itself tells you something about the direction. Um, I wanna point out that when this was uh, written up in the IJ, Richard Halstead interviewed four very wealthy white women, uh, one of them extremely wealthy, Rebecca Helzel, from Mill Valley about their perspectives. Um, he included one male right-winger. He interviewed no Latinos from the canal, uh, apparently no Latinos, period. He interviewed only one black person. It was the county employee, Jamila Jordan. Um, when I asked uh, Mr. Halstead about this earlier today, he told me that he had included a quote uh, that was critical um, that I had made 
um, and that it was edited out. Um, but I wanna point out that that process was really fraught. Uh, there was significant conflict of interest, not only because you had so many people who, who were literally in bed with law enforcement on that working group, but because the meetings were secret, 12 secret meetings. I CPRA'd the recordings, all were recorded. I only received four back. The recordings themselves are really shocking. I wanna point out that in addition to the conflict of interest that was immediately apparent, uh, it appears that Charles Drezzo, who had was just awarded a $3.4 million contract for the group that he's a director of, um, he was also on that uh, oversight working group. There appears to have been no vetting conflict of interest. I, I ask that you address that issue. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Next, please. I'm Marguerite Moriarty. I'm here to reiterate my opposition to the development at 825 Drake Avenue. Marin City has the highest density population of any community in Marin, and Marin City has 54% of the county's subsidized housing. The residents do not want this development and will continue to fight it. They are saying no is no. I gave you the summary of Betty Hodges last week, um, and she's the lead person uh, from Marin City. I believe the board missed an opportunity in November 2022 when you voted against the LEHC for the residents of Golden Gate Village. The total budget this year for the next is $784 million, which includes $49.8 million in one-time investments for top priorities. Racial equity in the statement is noted as a top priority. Will you consider purchasing the land at 825 Drake Avenue and let the residents of Marin City decide what they want in their city. A week ago, we all heard the voice of Kiana Davis of your public works department. Describe the racial injustices suffered by African-Americans. Marin ship residents never had an opportunity for generational wealth. They were redlined and faced unthinkable discrimination. A letter to your board dated June 22nd from Matthew Heimel indicates one of the board's highest priorities is building a racially equitable community by applying a racial equity lens, making thoughtful one-time investments. Please give this your consideration and make a bold choice. Um, my name is Anne Devero Rosenfeld and I support Ms. Moriarty's comments. And I wanna remind you that a few years ago, we had a similar situation. The Michaels Group proposed to increase the density of Golden Gate Village from 300 units to 467 units and the same amount of land. The opposition was fierce and uh, by the Golden Gate Re Village Residence Council, the residents and folks in Marin City. And eventually the county had to pay off the Michaels developer to the tune of over $300,000. And we, we all remember that, right? Um, today, Marin City is speaking up again. The residents of Marin City are not backing down. They do not want this development at 825 Drake for a number of, of very valid reasons. At any cost, at any compromise, they are tired of being excluded in the decisions about their community. And as Supervisor Moulton Peters has said repeatedly, uh, SB 35 was not intended to put all of Marin's affordable housing in Marin City. 
which always has uh, which already has a high concentration of affordable housing. It seems to me that the county is on the same trajectory that occur occurred during the early earlier situation with Michaels of incurring a huge cost when this development fails and it will fail. Let's bite the bullet now, buy the property and cede it to the residents of Marin City. Thank you for your time. Good afternoon, I'm Pat Langley from St. Anselm's and the Marin Organizing Committee. MOC has been researching Marin's living wage and its impact on the vulnerable people who rely on the in-home supportive services caregivers. Through organizing, I've become conscious that the county budget is actually a moral statement. Where we spend our tax dollars directly speaks to what we value. Marin publicly issues a priority of promoting equity. The majority of our IHSS workers are women of color. If equity is a priority, then the budget needs to reflect that. Treating people equitably means that our vulnerable, low-income seniors and disabled residents receive the same quality of care you would want. And we're really happy to see the increase in the budget to our living wage of $18 an hour. However, it's not enough. According to MIT, a true living wage for a single person in Marin is $26.63. IHSS funding is a combination of federal, county, and state contributions. Marin could go to 1873 right now without incurring any state penalty. We're leaving Marin taxpayer dollars in the coffers of the federal and state government and not in the paychecks of our caregivers if we don't increase to 1873. It's a challenge to meet Marin's need for quality caregivers when we don't pay what they could make with, as fast food workers. Let's pass a budget that reflects our values, treating those who care for our vulnerable with a wage that reflects their true value. Those who support what I've just stated, please stand up. Thank you. Thank you. Next, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Uh, John Watson, uh, Community Organizer for the Marin Center for Independent Living. And I want to echo the inspiring words that Pat Langley just shared with us and share further that a caregiver on the private market can make $35 to $45 an hour, well within what is estimated to be livable in the county. And yet, we expect those who take care of our most vulnerable and our most needy to work for half of that, when San Francisco has already gone to $25 an hour. For one hour of that wage increase compared to ours, they can pay their bridge toll and be across working for people who need the care just as much and who have a county who are paying them more to do it. It is vital that the wage increase to a livable level now. Thank you for your time. Okay, the light is on. Uh, good afternoon, supervisors. Also speaking on uh, the IHSS caregiver issue. Um, for 44 years, Marin Center for Independent Living has offered 
a private pay caregiver registry for folks who do not qualify for in-home support services, but do not have the resources to pay out of pocket for what could come to $40,000, $50,000 a year in care. Uh, those caregivers on our registry make between $27 and $35 an hour, a living wage. But in order to create that robust caregiver registry, we need a pipeline, a, a workforce pipeline for caregivers. And often our caregivers come from in-home support services. We have a care shortage. We do not have enough young people, uh, middle-aged people and older people going into caregiving. So as we look at the IHSS hourly rate, as we look at caregiving in the private pay um, and public uh, markets, as we look at how we're gonna support a community aging, aging with disability, aging into disability, and also recognizing the limited number of um, uh, acute care facilities we have in Marin, also the closure of our only adult day health center. We really as a community need to figure out a sustainable pipeline and resource to support everyone in aging and aging with disability. Thank you. Thank you, next please. Um, my name is Susan Stoddard. I live in Larkspur. And um, I'm also here to support the um, $26 wage for IHSS. You know, thinking about this morning, we got up, we got dressed, had breakfast, went to the bathroom. There are a lot of things about our day we take for granted. But some of these are things that people really need to rely on the people that need um, the services from IHSS. And um, for those people, things are crucial, needing to rely on a reliable workforce, a workforce that's well-paid, a workforce that has the incentive to show up. And um, This, this, the, the people who need this services are very vulnerable. And I think it's very important to pay attention to um, what might be a small gap in salary from a different perspective, but what's really important in considering this increase today. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Gina Gilmet. I'm with Community Action Marin. And I'm here today to pre uh, present an update on our emergency rental assistance program, um, which we've been operating ERAP um, for short, and to request additional one-time funding to extend the program into the fall. This is in response to the tremendous community need we've experienced in recent months. Uh, we know that Marin's in the midst of a housing crisis and it has disproportionate impact on people of color, people uh, with disabilities, seniors, and people of low income. Uh, Community Action Marin took over the ERAP program in mid-November of 2022, and to date, we've dispensed more than $4.1 million to 582 renter households via payments to landlords. And more recently, you extended our contract um, through December 2023 with an additional $2.7 million. Approximately $2 million of those funds is still remaining for us to disperse. However, the pace of those disbursements is happening more rapidly than we anticipated. Our monthly disbursement ranges between $600,000 and $800,000 every month. 
So given the applications that we know are pending in the pipeline and the projections based on the current rate of approval, we will need to close the ERAP waiting list at the end of this month, June 2023, to stay within existing funding. We know that there's tremendous need in the community, and we also know how costly evictions and homelessness are in our community. Um, while ERAP and other services are not a solution to the housing crisis, uh, they have allowed a specific level of housing stability for eligible tenants, which we know have ripple effects throughout our community and our economy locally. So as you make decisions for the final budget this year, going into next year, we ask that you include an additional $2.5 million of one-time funding for ERAP, which will allow us to keep the waiting list open through September of this year with payouts going through the end of the calendar year. This is a timely investment that again, does not solve the housing crisis, but we do know that it is an important step to prevent uh, displacement through eviction and other means um, and the folks who that impacts. Without additional funding, we will need to close the waiting list at the end of this month and we will continue to partner with the county to communicate with the county in people who are seeking help thank with you. clarity. Time. Um, thank you for your, your consideration. Thank you. Next, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Terry Dowling, and I serve as the Chair of the Aging Action Initiative Steering Committee. AEI is a collaborative network of 1,000 professionals and over 250 organizations and agencies that provide services for older adults in Marin. Earlier this, this year, on behalf of the Aging Action Initiative, I presented five asks um, of this Board of Supervisors. One is to create a new Division of Aging and Disability Services at the Assistant Director level reporting to the Director of Health and Human Services so that the concerns of older adults are elevated, better understood and responded to by the county. Number two, to revamp the resource model of much needed aging and disability services in rural West Marin. Three, to ensure that age-friendly planning and policy issues continue to be addressed countywide across departments. Four, to educate county and municipal employees about ageism and ableism. And five, to plan to enhance county information and navigation systems to help people better access services in the county. AEI wants to thank the Board of Supervisors and the staff of the Department of Health and Human Services with a very special thanks to Daniel Del Monte, the new Deputy County Administrator for listening to us. With this budget, Aging and Adult Services will now have a permanent staff person for new age-friendly initiatives, Aging, ageism and ableism training will be offered uh, alongside the county's other equity training and West Marin older adult issues will be addressed. This is a fantastic start. There's more to do, including moving forward on the imperative for more and better understanding, empathy and response to the growing needs of people aging in Marin, to the needs of older people with disabilities and to the concerns of their families. We're committed to working closely with you this year and the next few years to address the other important requests that we made earlier this year. Thank you again for your commitment to making Marin County a wonderful place for people of all ages to live and thrive. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Next, please. Hi, uh, Lee Nodowich, and I'm representing the Marin Commission on Aging. I wanna thank the Board of Supervisors for um, supporting and continuing some funding um, in the budget this year. This is the first time we've actually had funding for um, our commission. 
we're trying to do a lot of work in the community right now, and there's a lot of priorities that we feel need to be addressed. Some are, we're doing a pretty good job. Some of them we could do much better. Um, so thank you for um, considering the funds to strengthen the work that we do on behalf of the older adults in Marin County. Um, I, to kind of echo what Terry said, we're um, hoping um, to better support the seniors in um, West Marin, the geographic challenges make it harder to provide them support and services that are needed, that are desperately needed. Um, thank you for considering funding a full-time position in the aging and adult services that will work on new initiatives and um, the, the funding that we're hoping to see for aging and ableism training for all county employees will be greatly appreciated. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you. Next, please. Hi, Jonathan Freeman. I'm, I'm still with uh, the InSpirit and Public Authority of Marin. Uh, you know, years ago, Matthew, I was up here and on this situation, and I supported the increase of the uh, of the wages about $13 at that point. But this year, because I know so much more, um, it's an emergency. It's an emergency situation today. Today, consumers cannot find caregivers because no one wants to wipe others for 17 bucks an hour. Today, consumers live under constant stress that their current attendants will quit without notice. Uh, today, I just as consumers with severe disabilities worry and fret they will be forced to live in a nursing home. $20 an hour is only a million dollars more. It could get you a worker who knows that if you scrub too hard, you could tear the rice paper of skin too soft and the bacteria left behind will fester into infection. Uh, San Francisco will uh, raise their rates. Uh, where is it? it will, in January, 2075, in January, uh, 2025, 22, and uh, it will get up to 2550 by 27 uh, by uh, 2027. All someone with quadriplegia has is their voice. But if there's no one there to hear them, the feeling of desperation lowers morale and the ability to make good decisions between food and care. And so no one should be stuck in that lonely place. If there are no other speakers in the chamber, we'll go online. We've got several speakers online. The first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. As you're making economic plans, it's important to take a look at the present economic environment. In doing so, you need to look no further than the Northgate Mall right across the free freeway from where you're sitting right now. A drive around it and a walkthrough starting with Macy's will demonstrate clearly a future business failure in the making. For a look at the future of employment, go over to the Strip Center uh, next door and visit the future of banking embodied by the personless branch of the Bank of America, a service facility free of employees with service provided by on-screen AI-assisted virtual attendants. I happened to do so last week by accident. 
it was shocking to me to see <clears throat> how quick, quickly this technology is transforming our society. I expect that this will spread and accelerate in the very, very near future. Being prepared for the volatility this portends for the uh, economy going forward is imperative. Our current expectations will likely prove to be less than realistic. The economic landscape uh, is going to be uh, going through unprecedented changes in the next several years. The unfolding of the Fed Now program in July will formally begin much of this process, the core process, which is based around transactionality. Uh, this uh, is something I'll talk to you more about uh, when I have time tomorrow. Thank you. The next speaker is Rebecca H. Please unmute. Rebecca, go ahead. Yeah, I got it. Thanks. Um, so what does being a friend of Marin City mean? For me, it means standing up for racial justice, supporting what they say they need, spending time and political currency to speak truth to power. Marin is at the top of the list of counties with the largest racial and economic disparities in California, and it's one of the wealthiest. What does it mean to you as supervisors? Doing a little something, but not enough to move the needle substantially? More plans or more consultants? Or do you listen directly to what the people need and actually invest serious money in the kinds of things that actually do make change, that provide dignity and hope, not the hope of a handshake, real lasting economic change and hope that lifts the trajectory of the residents in Marin City? Will you address the environmental issues, the safety issues that make their lifespans shorter than those that live in the rest of our wealthy county? Have task forces and committees that are made up of 100% residents of color? Will you invest in a piece of land in their community where they get to decide what happens, have control, rather than have others tell them what should be done there, what they should do, and have their voices ignored? These are the hard things to do, no doubt as a supervisor. <laughs> it has to be one of the hardest things to do, make these kinds of commitments, but it is the stuff legacies are made of. It is the stuff real, real change can make and the trajectory can start now. Please put the money uh, where it's most needed and most change can happen, not performative. Thank you so much. The next speaker is Deborah Howell. Please unmute. Hello, um, my name is Deborah Howell. I am a voter, resident, and employee in Marin County. I speak in favor of raising the IHSS caregiver wage to $26 per hour. For the past 13 years, I have worked with people and families seeking caregivers to assist them in their homes including those seeking IHSS caregivers. For the past five years, I've worked as caregiver registry coordinator with the Marin Center for Independent Living. People seeking IHSS caregivers have the most difficult time finding caregivers. Several factors play into that, and a very major one is that the pay is far too low. Currently, IHSS caregivers in Marin County 
are earning only $16.95 per hour. That is not a livable wage in Marin County or in the Bay Area. My understanding is that uh, the Board of Supervisors is proposing to raise the wage to $18 per hour. That is a little bit of an improvement, but it does not approach a sustainable living wage. $26 per hour is a much more equitable wage. I know from my personal experience as an IHSS consumer and IHSS um, caregiver in the past and my professional experience, just how valuable, important, and essential IHSS caregivers are. I urge you to show that you value them too by raising their wages to $26 per hour. Thank you. The next speaker is Jean Severinghaus. Please unmute. Yes, thank you, Board of Supervisors. I wanted to thank um, Supervisor Sackett for introducing a, an active transportation professional onto the staff in the budget. I strongly urge the board to support the staff position. Um, I have submitted comments in writing, um, but I would particularly like to call out two things. One is that in designing the position, which I hope you will support, that it be a person who can work with all the different jurisdictions because one of the big issues is the piecemeal approach. And it would be very helpful to have somebody who can be a resource um, for all the jurisdictions. The other is that I hope it would be a, um, a plan engineer, as it's called, a person who is a bicycle transport uh, traffic engineer, as well as a planner. So they're both do planning and engineering. And they should have strong experience with community outreach and engagement as engagement is now the criteria for getting grant money. Because the climate demands it, we really need to connect all the various bits and pieces of beautiful paths we've started to build to make a network. And we could strongly use a good professional as a resource to all in the county to do that. I urge you, I urge you to support that position. Thank you. The next speaker is Marta Villela, please unmute. Hello, Board of Supervisors. I'm Marta Villela, Senior Registry Specialist at the Public Authority of Marine, and also a leader with the Marine Organizing Committee. I've been working with this office for almost seven years, and it has been always difficult to find caregivers, but now it is more difficult than before. And I consider that it is due to the cost of living in this county, which is very high, and the wage for our IHSS providers is not enough to survive in our community. In addition, they have to support their own families, plus pay for daycares for their children. Even a babysitter will gain more than what they are making per hour. We are concerned that we do not have enough providers in our registry when the number of IHSS recipients is increasing. I hope that in the budget of the Board of Supervisors, you really consider increasing the salary of our caregivers who are mostly women of color and who deserve to receive a better living wage. Without care providers, hard work 
many older adults and people with disabilities couldn't live independently in their home. And that's actually our mission. I urge you to consider a path so the county can increase the living wage up to $26 per hour rather than 18 per hour. Thank you. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. Um, I just want to quote something that I just heard on the Black Information Channel on radio. It's talking about uh, San Francisco and the homeless program. And it said from a London Bree, here we go again, another white person who thinks he has, who, who thinks he is a savior of, of black and brown people. And I just wanna kind of mention that in a, I keep talking about the Human Rights Commission that they go off on tangents that are kind of uh, proposed by the Board of Supervisors and not from the community. So one of them was for you know contributing to the food program is that they were going to support a program where they're going to put three refrigerators in locations around Marin and stocking with food from a group. Uh, previously, they just walked in from out of the street, as opposed to something dealing with what does the real canal area one or black Marin City one? And the answer is they don't know. They don't have a clue because they don't have representatives from those areas, nor are they really interested in getting representatives from that area. They're interested in just stocking boards that you propose for them to rubber stamp their, their name on. Human Rights Commission proposed supports sponsored or started, which is an absolute false premise. So uh, again, Nothing's going to work unless you really get a survey from the community and from the from the Canal Alliance or from your own independent groups that you might hire to go out there and don't get these all these shell these shell companies to say that they represent the people. You you got to do something to really get the real input from the people. Thank you. The next speaker is Kate Powers, please unmute. Supervisors, I wanted to add my um, strong support for the idea of adding an active transportation planner staff position to the 2023-24 budget in order to facilitate an increasingly safe and connected transportation network that supports active transportation throughout the county. A vision and strategy for a connected network requires a whole of Marin coordinated approach to planning and policy, policy making and for grant seeking for con project construction. An active transportation planner would help bridge the gaps not only between jurisdictional departments working on community development and planning projects with those of public works, but it would also increase the competitiveness of Marin's jurisdictions working together, not competing with each other for competitive grants, improving resource sharing and efficiency and reducing duplication of work. This position could be a resource not only to local communities and jurisdictions, but also aid Transportation Authority of Marin's transportation planners as well. As a former BPAC member of San Rafael's, um, of San Rafael, 
I've experienced the effectiveness and value of supporting a focus on active transportation infrastructure. However, to complete a network requires more than a patchwork of segments. City and town budgets, including funds from TAMS Measure A and Measure B can only fund so much. Um, finally, the success of the state's climate action plan for transportation infrastructure depends on the success of local jurisdictions implementation. An active transportation planner who could support the advancement of a connected safe network throughout the county would advance both state and county goals in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and would support outcomes in planning for safe and connected development in Marin's jurisdictions as we rapidly develop new housing and want to provide safety and comfort for those able and wanting to bicycle and walk in Marin. Thank you. The next speaker is Warren Wells. Please unmute. Hi, uh, President Milton Peters, members of the Board of Supervisors. My name is Warren Wells from the Marin County Bicycle Coalition. Uh, I'm also calling to thank you for your inclusion of the new uh, position, the Department of Public Works as the Active Transportation Planner. Many of the problems we face in Marin, greenhouse gas emissions, congestion, air quality, cost of living can be addressed by helping people make short trips by bike and e-bike rather than by driving. Uh, our, our county has invested a great deal already in our bike network, but crucial gaps remain and any network is only as good as its weakest part. We're very excited by the prospect of someone working at the county whose, whose job is knitting together investments we've already made and closing the gaps um, in, in our bike pedestrian network. So thank you again for this far side decision. The next speaker is Margaret Parlow, please unmute. Hello, my name is Margaret Partlow. I'm a resident of, of Supervisor Rice's district and I have been for almost 45 years. I'm a member of the Marin Organizing Committee and I'm also asking your support to plan a pathway to a wage, a living wage of $26 an hour, which we have found out and you know as well is about what one person needs to live reasonably in Marin County. I'm glad that you're making an effort to raise the IHSS wages somewhat, but we hope that, and really hope that you will go farther than this because it's a matter of not just fairness, but justice and also competitively, we need to do this for our most vulnerable neighbors. Thank you so much, supervisors. The next speaker is Shannon Griffin. Please unmute. Good afternoon, board supervisors. Um, I am also supporting a, a minimum increase for IHSS to $18.73, but ideally to 26 to really make a difference. $26 an hour. I, I worked for the County of Marin as a social worker in IHSS program, um, and I went to the homes of the elderly and disabled. So I saw directly how critical caregivers are. For some of these people, if they can't hire a caregiver for poor wages that IHSS pays at this time, they would have to move to a skilled nursing facility that accepts Medi-Cal. These facilities are the last place anyone would want to spend their lives or the, possibly their last years and days. So please uh, do give this uh, consideration, strong consideration, and I thank you for your time and attention. 
The next speaker is Jerry Miller. Please unmute. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I uh, would like to add uh, my concern about um, the uh, the possibility of 825 Drake. Um, I, I completely concur with the comments earlier of uh, Anne Deborah Rosenfeld. And um, I really encourage uh, the board to uh, consider purchasing this and keeping uh, the goal of racial equity uh, in mind. And I thank also the uh, supervisors who attended the Juneteenth breakfast yesterday. You know firsthand how important it is to the people. Thank you. The next speaker is Dario Santiago. Please unmute. Good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. This is Dario Santiago, the Director of the Public Authority of Marin. I want to thank you for the uh, thank you, the board and the County Health and Human Services fiscal team, uh, County Finance, and the CAO's office for the proposed full-time position of coaching and training at the Public Authority. I believe it's labeled on one of the reports as Eligibility Worker Three. Uh, this position is going from a two-year pilot to an ongoing position. Uh, just for some background, some of the referrals that uh, the staff in particular is working on are from Adult Protective Services staff to coordinate uh, services with IHSS clients, um, clients that have been approved by IHSS and are awaiting discharge from hospitals and still nursing facilities or coming back from uh, facilities. And uh, another thing that this uh, person does uh, is provides mediation to the IHSS clients that are having a difficult time fulfilling the role as the employer of the caregivers, which sometimes is due to um, clients having a severe persistent mental illness or uh, neurocognitive disorders and, um, and require the support. I also wanna comment on the proposed funds to support the $18 living wage ordinance, which affects the IHSS providers. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for this proposal. Um, I've seen several articles in the last month that reference the IHSS wages on the IJ. And uh, we also get a lot of you know, pressure from the community partners and clients and county staff and you know, just community members in general uh, about increasing the pool of available caregivers in our program. Uh, <clears throat> so I think this will help. Uh, I can speak to the care provider shortage last year uh, we had around 300,000 hours that were not worked. Those are the hours that county social workers assessed and indicated that clients needed to remain safe at home and clients didn't have a caregiver to fulfill these hours. Um, so just want to thank you again for this proposal. Thank you. The next speaker is Linda Sheridan. Please unmute. Um, yes, hello. I would just like to add my voice to uh, opposition for the development of the eight 25 Drake um, project in Marin City. Um, and Marin City, of course, has the highest population density of any of the communities in Marin with, and 54% of the county subsidized housing. Um, I, I know that we have a mandate here for additional low-income housing, but um, 
let's you know move it to some of the other more affluent areas and share the burden um also you know there's only one way in and out of marin city and the 1992 community plan requires that another access road be built before any additional residents can residences can be built there and of course there's also tremendous drainage system problems that need to be repaired before you know this should be built um i you know, with this building, the senior housing facility above would be completely blocked from any sunlight. And the only Marin City Community Park um, sits directly across the street from this uh, site and um, poses a risk to children and families. So I would encourage uh, you to purchase this land and allow the families and the people of Marin City to make a decision as to the use of this land. Um, it feels like the only moral thing to do at this point. Thank you. President Mung Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you to the public comment. I'm gonna bring it back to the county administrator to respond to some of the things today. All right, well, uh, first of all, thank you to the public who came out. It's always good to have participation in our budget process. Um, just to comment on a few of the items that came out, um, I guess, and one of the things I would say is, um, you know, one of the challenges is there that this is a point in time and we can't always address every issue uh, in our budget hearings. And so oftentimes we go into the budget knowing that there are things that we still need to work on going forward. So one example of that is the IHSS uh, wages. And so I certainly think we share the goal to increase wages for IHSS workers. And it's really a two-step process. One is what's the living wage that, that we fund. And then the other is the negotiations with the authority that are still to happen this summer uh, because they, they, they have a new contract that would start January 24. So just to go over what's in the budget, uh, the budgets currently uh, includes $500,000 to increase the, the uh, living wage to $18 an hour from the $16.95. So that's a 6.2% increase. That's above what our living wage uh, typically would uh, apply the cost of living adjustment of 4.2%. Um, but in addition, as I said, we know that we will be continuing to work with the authority on contract negotiations. And in recent years, the IHS wages have exceeded the living wage. And we certainly enter into those discussions with an open mind. And as the public has pointed out, state participation in the funding makes it more uh, attractive. Now, it's not as if the county doesn't, uh, even when the state's participating, the county pays a share. Uh, but the 1873 um, would require another $400,000 from the county, for instance. Um, so, so we're kind of at the first step of the process where we're setting the, the living wage uh, at $18 an hour. That's already ensuring that the IHSS will get a $1.5 increase. Uh, and then, like I said, we are going to work with the authority to participate in the negotiations since we would be funding anything above and beyond that. And we go into those discussions with an open mind. Um, so um, the second thing I, I wanted to um, thank Community Action Marin for coming in. They uh, certainly have been a, a, a partner with us around the emergency rental assistance. You know, our, our shared goal is really to maximize the state and federal uh, COVID relief funds. 
around um, rental assistance. And I think we've done together, done a good job at that. Uh, we did get 4.3 million in additional state funds in May. So that helped to extend the program at that point. Uh, but we go into this budget knowing that that program was going to end sometime in the next fiscal year. And so that's one of our follow-up issues is to work with HHS and CDA to focus on how this program will transition. You may recall that we increased uh, rapid rehousing, partly in anticipation of this program being away. So that's an additional um, tool for us. So, um, so what I would like to do is work with CAM, HHS, and CDA, and then come back to your board with a transition plan uh, in the coming weeks. Um, and so, um, you know, I'd like to more to come on that. And then lastly, on the aging uh, action initiative and the testimony, I appreciate the comments of the, the speakers that spoke. And I think they accurately said, like, it's a good start and that there's more work to do. And we look forward to those further discussions with stakeholders. So, so that would be kind of my overall response to the public comments. And I'm hoping that uh, some of uh, the other questions and, and comments will be addressed in our overview and then happy to answer questions at the end of our overview if that works for your board. Awesome. Matthew, um, specifically on the uh, IHHS uh, discussion and analysis, and I, I appreciate that there's more to be done and discussed there, but I would um, appreciate it also if, if when you come back to us, there's a, a larger context uh, to caregiving and, and caregiving needs and frankly the, the, the pipeline of the workforce element of this in terms of not just wages but workers and I believe we have some other contracts or monies that go towards workforce development specifically around caregiving but I'm you know not remembering specifically and then I, I do believe that and, and I also think it's important for us to understand um, the benefits packages that go along with or, or do not uh, with those IHS wages and also in comparison to what's out there in the private pay. So I just, when, when you come back, understanding that larger universe that goes beyond IHS, uh, the needs are great and the costs are great. Not everybody qualifies for IHSS. Um, as was mentioned, but I do think the context is important and um, I certainly understand uh, and um, more than sympathetic to knowing we need to pay folks um, a living wage, a sustainable wage, um, and also something that's sustainable for the clients that um, they serve beyond IHHS um, uh, folks who are eligible. Anyway, there's a larger context. I think we should be talking about it. And I think there's a role for the county to play, especially in that workforce development piece and where we can be of assistance there along with um, a competitive wage for the workforce. Happy to follow up with you, Supervisor. Yeah. Uh, and maybe if I can just tag on to that would be uh, uh, knowing what neighbor neighboring counties are doing as well. We heard some numbers today, but it'd be good to get maybe a little table there to show and uh, are those neighboring counties um, paying for it out of their own or are they just a little bit uh, farther along in advancing it and they're still taking advantage of those state matches, uh, having something to compare because we're all competing for the same uh, the same workforce. That'd be good Good information to have as well. Yep, Thanks. will do. All right, so I'll just kind of kick off the overview um, this afternoon. And 
And I wanted to start by really thanking um, all the county departments and their employees. Um, you know, the the budget is ultimately a team product, uh, and and I think our departments have done a good job of staying within their budget and being partners in the development of this budget and managing their resources. And so I really want to thank them. And then I want to do a special thanks to the CAO's budget team and the special project teams that helped develop this budget. So that's Josh, Mark, Carlos, Jennifer, uh, Gary, and Talia. And as I did in early June, I wanted to do a, a special thanks for Josh. This is his first uh proposed budget and I think it's a, a product that he can be really proud of and we sh you know he's in the office next to me and you know I I had many nights where I left uh, and he was still in the office and and weekends we've spent in the office as well so really thank him for all his hard work putting this together the other thing I would just wanted before we we go into the presentation, just to give an overview for the public um, who are, may not be familiar with where we are in the process and when it started. So, so um, this is a the second year of a two-year budget, and so um, your board adopted the budget last June for a two-year period. We've done that uh, to help have a more kind of stable budget plan going forward so that we can focus the second year on strategic planning, capital improvement, uh, and those kind of things. Um, we kicked off this budget in December. Um, we had 10 hours worth of budget workshops in March where we kind of gave our initial preview of our priorities and got feedback from both the public and the board. Uh, in April, we presented our current year projections and our three-year budget projections. And then uh, this week is really the final budget hearings. Um, and we will, on Thursday, we'll be asking your board to adopt the budget, but we'll do so knowing that, as I said, there are follow-up items that we need to work on uh, that will be identified this week as well. So with that, I'm gonna go to our PowerPoint and uh, go over the proposed budget. Let me get the connection to our PowerPoint, okay. All right, so the purpose of the budget hearings is first to receive public input and to get feedback uh, from your board and the public. Uh, we also wanna provide updates on high priority issues and provide a high level overview of the proposed budget with the ability to, for you to ask more detailed questions. Uh, as I mentioned, we go into this knowing that we'll have follow-up issues for additional review and analysis. And then uh, Thursday is the day where your board will be taking action on the budget. So the goals of our 23-24 budget we established in December. And so the first one is to apply a racial equity lens to our budget process. And so as part of all of our discussions with departments, we, we've had discussions about applying that racial equity lens and Jamila will give more of an update uh, later this afternoon. It's also uh, to focus on continuous improvement efforts uh, around business process improvements about how do we uh, you know, make better decisions and do the most important things well. Largely the budget uh, discussions with departments focused on cost covered or one-time BCPs based on our financial condition. And uh, what was unique this year uh, that maybe was different from other years is that we had historic one-time funding from the state and federal government over the past two years. And so some of what we're proposing in this budget is really allocating things that have been set aside from prior year ARPA funds, uh, for instance. 
so uh, one of the goals was to, as it always is, to is to update fees to keep pace with uh, inflation and cost. Uh, but this year, we also were applying a racial equity lens to looking at our fees. And um, that's one of the reasons last week you uh, removed park entrance fees, for instance, from all county parks funded by Measure A. Um, and as I mentioned, one of the big focuses um, and one of the big challenges we have is our, our deferred maintenance of county facilities. Uh, our county facilities are largely 60 years old in need of modernization. And this budget takes a first step at that with a $30 million modernization program of the Civic Center and the VMA, um, Veterans Memorial Auditorium. So um, we always use the top six priorities uh, to help guide our budget. And again, I would put this in the context of the last two to three years, we've made significant investments uh, that were guided by these top priorities in the areas of affordable housing, permanent supportive housing. Um, I think about $38 million uh, specifically uh, for permanent supportive housing for over the last for the long term that we made over the last three years. Affordable housing, we've been accelerating our payments for the Affordable Housing Trust and this year's budget commits to uh, $25 million over the next five years. Racial equity, uh, we're doing uh, $5 million worth of ra racial equity investments. Climate change, we've done $9 million worth of investments there. Disaster preparedness, we've shifted our Office of Emergency Management from the Sheriff's Office to fire and then also enhanced the level of funding. Uh, county infrastructure, as I mentioned, and then recruitment and retention, a number of steps around uh, retention incentives, uh, market equity adjustments uh, to address recruitment and retention. And there are things that Josh will be going over as well in that area. So high level summary of the budget, the budget is balanced and consistent with the second year of our budget plan. It maintains current services with a few high priority ongoing enhancements to address emerging needs. Um, and then like the, the big significant item is $50 million worth of one-time allocations that are funded approximately half with new one-time money from the general fund and half from previously set aside special revenue funds, COVID relief funds uh, toward our top priorities. And so with that high level overview, I'm gonna turn it over to Josh and he'll go over more detail. And I will point out pages 18 through 21 list all the adjustments uh, in the budget for the public if they wanna take a look at that as well. Okay, thank you very much, Matthew. And then I just before I start, I also wanna share my thanks to the budget team and our departments. Just, it takes a lot of work to get here. Um, and I guess I would also wanna thank you, Matthew, for your leadership and support this past year. All right, so I'm gonna spend the next couple of minutes talking about the budget assumptions and the economic context that informed this budget. I'm gonna spend some time talking about the budget at large, what is in it, as well as some of the key changes. And then I will close out my discussion with a list, uh, an overview of the one-time and ongoing recommendations before you today. So in terms of budget assumptions, our budget assumes moderate economic growth. This is a change from the prior year's significant activity. In terms of revenues, we are seeing a slowdown in the local real estate market, as you are probably aware. Uh, we're projecting a 6% property tax growth next year, followed by a 5% and a 4%. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Um, 
So again, just kind of highlighting, we, we, are, we are assuming moderate economic growth in this budget. In terms of property tax, this is one of your most discretionary sources of revenue, approximately 40% of the budget. We're projecting a 6% growth in assessed value, followed by a 5% and a 4% thereafter. For context, the current pro uh, projected growth in the current year is 6.5%. In terms of state revenues, we are expecting mostly flat given the state's budget deficit. Um, where applicable, we do uh, uh, you know, adjust for expected increases for mandated health and public safety revenues, including public health realignment, Prop 172, et cetera. Locally, we would expect some levels of moderate growth for sales tax and TOT. And then where applicable, as Matthew said, we are adjusting fees. We would, we would expect some growth there. In terms of expenditures, as Matthew mentioned, this budget maintains current services and improved enhancements from the previous year. Um, we will be recommending a moderate level of increases for emerging needs. This budget incorporates previously approved negotiations with our labor unions, which would include cost of living adjustments, market equity adjustments, and retention incentives. Last year, your board approved a new fiscal policy where any savings and pension costs would be dedicated to our unfunded retiree healthcare obligations. This budget includes approximately $7 million uh, towards retiree healthcare obligations. Moving now to the bigger picture, the economic context of this budget, I'm just, I'm including this overview of our property tax uh, uh, percentage change from the previous year. As I mentioned earlier, we are expecting um, the property tax growth to slow. Current year projects six and a half percent. We're expecting approximately 6% in the coming year or 6% is what is included in the proposed budget. That red line there, that is our 20 year average of approximately 5%. We would expect to go below that by the third year. So as you're probably aware from the, uh, in the news, I, I think the story of our economic condition right now is that there are some level of clouds on the horizon. Uh, the economic recovery from the pandemic has slowed uh, and there is increased risk and fear of recession in the coming years. What you're seeing on this chart is a chart that we use frequently in these budget hearings. It is the real gross domestic product change from the preceding quarter. Gross domestic product is a commonly used indicator to highlight national economic productivity and health and strength. Uh, I won't go over all of these, but I think the idea with this is in 2020, you see very significantly the impact of the pandemic as well as the uh, influx of federal stimulus funds. I will highlight that after that influx, that V-shaped recovery, we experienced five successive quarters of sustained and significant, truly significant growth we are now seeing that growth begin to curtail. And as of Q1 and Q2, uh, 2023, we've seen approximately a 1.3% growth. That's down from 2.6 at the end of 22. So again, uh, this budget does not assume the a recession or when a recession may or may not occur, but we are seeing a slowdown uh, across many levels of our economy. And so we, we have included that into our projections. If the economy were to significantly worsen, we would pull upon existing reserves to allow us to uh, make informed and constructive decisions about how to adjust our ongoing budget. So your board has been prudent in establishing a variety of, of reserves for this purpose. Uh, 
by no means, this is, this is not all of your reserves, but specifically for budget stabilization, we have a budget stabilization reserve of 12.2 million, a pension stabilization reserve of 10 million, a state and federal reserve, which we are proposing to increase by 1.2 million uh, in this budget to uh, for a total of 7 million. This would be used in case uh, state or federal revenues for mandated programs and services were to be uh, reduced or significantly impacted. Okay, now jumping ahead to the budget, what does what this budget is made up of? So before you today is a proposed budget of 784 million across all funds. In terms of how that budget is funded, uh, I'm showing a highlight of the various sources. Approximately 42% of your budget comes from property taxes, sales taxes, and, and the like. Roughly 35% of your budget is from intergovernmental revenues. And we really highlight this because most of this in essentially all of the intergovernmental revenues or 35% of your budget are defined for specific purposes, whether that is health programming, uh, public safety programming, or road, uh, road funding. Uh, it is a significant chunk of your budget and it's for dedicated purposes, whereas approximately 40% are your, your taxes and, and your other categories are, are, are much more discretionary. Moving ahead to your expenditures, approximately 56% of this budget is for salaries and benefits uh, with 33% for services and supplies and other operational costs. And so this 33% generally is everything from keeping the lights on to the contracts for the services that we provide, um, fuel and the like. That's followed up by 6% in support of clients. That is really for dedicated and mandated uh, payments to things like public assistance. Uh, we also have IHSS payments in there as well. So moving ahead, so 259 million, this is the general fund net county cost by service area. And I know that's a little bit of a mouthful. What we, what we are trying to highlight here in this budget is where your discretionary general fund dollars go to support specific purposes um, across the county. So when we say net county cost, that's generally, the, the idea with that is that is your department expenses minus any revenues that that department brings in. So that those revenues could be intergovernmental revenues, charges for services or the like. So we have approximately 35% of your net county costs goes towards public safety, followed by uh, administration and finance, Health and Human Services at 25%, followed by Public Works and Community Services. Again, this is general fund net county costs as opposed to the earlier charts, which shows the all funds expense and revenue budget. The county provides a wide variety of services uh, through these expenditures that we're recommending today. And we, we do get questions about what does the county do uh, in different areas of the county? And so I wanted to provide these slides just to kind of highlight the fact that the county provides both countywide services, irrespective of jurisdiction, as well as more municipal services um, in the unincorporated areas of the community. So in terms of countywide services, you can expect most of health and human services, most of uh, the public safety um, service area, which would include the, the public defender, district attorney, excuse me, not most of the public state, around, around half, public defender, district attorney, parts of the sheriff's office in terms of the coroner, 
um, as well as probation. Also in terms of tax collection and elections and like, these are services that are provided across the county. This is compared to our more municipal services. So these are services that would be provided uh, as if we were a city. So these are the, the same types of services that cities provide to their residents in incorporated areas. This would include law enforcement and patrol, uh, our library functions, our building and planning within CDA, also fire response in West Marin, our parks and open space facilities, as well as public works. And this is, this is certainly not the wide, the entire list, but we did want to provide just a high level summary to provide a little more context. Okay. I'm gonna spend the next few minutes talking about the actual budget numbers and the key changes. And so uh, I'm gonna dive, right, dive right in. So the countywide all funds budget, as I mentioned earlier, is $783.7 million. That reflects a 9% total increase and a 7% increase for ongoing operations. As Matthew mentioned earlier, we are recommending $50 million in one-time expenses, approximately half of which comes from current year projected savings in the general, uh, in the general fund, as well as previously approved reserves uh, and special revenues. This budget includes a new fiscal policy recommendation to allocate $5 million annually to the Affordable Housing Trust through fiscal year 29. Uh, the idea with this is to really reflect your board's, one of your board's highest priorities to support affordable housing and meet our regional um, our needs allocation. Across the board, most department baseline budgets are increasing by three to 7%. This is largely for staffing adjustments, excuse me, um, previously approved bargaining adjustments and benefits projections. Um, it also includes um, administrative overhead and some level of increases for things like utilities and other, um, other changes like that. All right, and then again, I'm gonna go over these numbers probably a few different times so I'll try not to be uh, too repetitive here, but in terms of the general fund revenues, we are seeing an 8% increase in general fund revenues. If you look at the, from the top, taxes are increasing by 8%. That's in, inclusive of our 6% property tax assessment, but that also includes increases for ERAF, sales tax, DOT and the like. Adjustments for intergovernmental revenues reflect grants as well as fire ambulance um, contract adjustments. And then charges for services are increasing by 9% in the general fund. This is largely reflective of updated agreements with CAL FIRE for expanded wildfire response. 15% adjustments in the other category really reflects health and human services and public uh, realignment revenues for mandated health um, services. In terms of expenditures, um, we see a 6% increases increase for salaries and benefits. This is inclusive of previously approved bargaining negotiations and previously approved changes to staffing. Services and supplies are increasing by approximately 15%. A large portion of this is your previously approved enhancements um, from the current year. So enhancements to things like the um, uh, Office of Emergency Management, Project Home Key and the like. Um, we see increasing for support of clients, again, for mandated payments, public assistance payments, and IHSS as well. 
Now, jumping ahead to the all funds budget, taxes are increasing across all funds by 13%. I do want to highlight this number because it's a big change. This is incorporating the uh, extension of parks measure A. So you'll see this a few times in this presentation, but the current budget at the time of presenting to you last June, we did not know if measure A would be extended. Uh, we now are glad that it has been and, and are now incorporating those changes into this budget. Other adjustments to intergovernmental revenues reflect MH Mental Health Services Act revenues. So this is um, dedicated funding, state funding for um, mental health programming and health and human services. We also see changes to intergovernmental revenues for AB 109 realignment across probation, um, public defender and health and human services. Um, again, as well as, as well as adjustments for grants and the like. All right, and again, I'm gonna try and not be too duplicative here, uh, too repetitive, but salaries and benefits are increasing by 7%. Um, this is largely for parks measure A staffing increases, adjustments for health and human services, grant funded positions, um, as well as all as previously approved um, bargaining negotiations. All right, and now just to dive in and provide a little bit more context. So health and human services expenditures are increasing by 10%. That would include and an previously approved enhancements for permanent supportive housing and project home key. It includes enhancements as part of the MHSA three-year plan, uh, which expands funding for mobile crisis response, EHR health record system updates, um, as well as increased staffing. Within public safety, the largest increases are for Marin County Fire. That would cover the additional two wildfire crews that your board previously approved and are funded through Cal Fire State Revenues. It also includes enhancements for um, OEM staffing and response. Within the administrative uh, service area, we're seeing increases for com countywide communication enhancements, as well as insurance costs and litigation costs. Within CDA and Public Works, the largest increases are for roads programming, as well as our increased contributions to the CIP to really address deferred maintenance. And then within community services, we see a 40% increase fully related to uh, Marin County Park's extension of their sales tax and uh, the renewal of uh, the parcel tax for the library, Measure B. Okay, and this is just a little bit more detail, but again, we've added over 16 positions to Marin County Fire. This does not include seasonal staff increases. We've added uh, eight positions to Fire for OEM uh, as well to enhance that service. Within Marin County Parks, we've added four positions and uh, converted 11 fixed terms that are fully funded by Measure A funding. Okay, now moving on, I'm gonna provide an overview of the ongoing budget recommendations that are included in this budget. We are projecting the ability to uh, recommend approximately $3.1 million in ongoing uh, service enhancements. These are general fund service enhancements. So we would recommend adding four, $460,000 to implement and support the Sheriff Oversight Committee and AB 1185. This would include adding a position for the Inspector General position. 
we would recommend adding $550,000 to increase the living wage ordinance, $150,000 for enhanced civic center security, $500,000, again, this is all ongoing, for uh, retention benefits for county employees. This would include uh, a pilot program for childcare and dependent care reimbursements for employees, uh, as well as increasing our annual contribution to the CIP by $1 million. Moving on, we would look to add one position to support aging and adult initiatives. We would look to support the Department of Finance with an additional position to support payroll services. We would look to add and continue our partnership with IHSS on care navigation support. And then we, we would look to add funding for equity programming at the Marin Center. In terms of the one time, we mentioned a few of these earlier. Uh, we, look, we are recommending $30 million for a civic center and VMA improvement program. Uh, to address deferred maintenance and, and various improvements at the facilities. We would look to set aside $5 million for, for one-time employee retention incentives. We would look to continue our efforts on and partnerships with cities and towns on homeless encampments. We would look to increase our funding for summer road work. So this is really to address uh, road improvement programs that might not have been eligible for FEMA projects. Um, as you know, we experienced a lot of storms and we would want to bump that up again on a one-time basis. We would look to set aside and establish a county workforce housing reserve. This would be separate and in addition to our increased contributions to the affordable housing trust. We would look to set aside 1.9 million for additional climate change investments, add 1.2 to our state and federal budget reserve, add $430,000 for uh, West Marin tourist infrastructure and other community uh, collaborations. We would look to increase our community infrastructure reserve by $600,000, and we would want to continue our nonprofit partnership program. In terms of, oh, excuse me, uh, we would look to add uh, $500,000 to set aside funding to do an organizational study of the district attorney's office and, and add uh, short-term staffing and we would want to add a fixed term economic vitality coordinator, uh, as well as add funding for additional um, aging and adults initiatives. Lastly, we have $2.5 million set aside for departmental BCPs. Those BCPs would include uh, fixed term staffing, which includes a, an affordable housing senior planner in CDA, an active transportation senior planner in DPW, a digital Marin senior systems analyst to support broadband initiatives, uh, a fixed term principal planner and CDA to support a variety of high priority issue, uh, initiatives within the department, as well as $450,000 for a NOS field airport land use plan. Just continuing, we have $300,000 set aside and recommended uh, for enhanced seasonal staffing at the Deer Island Park Preserve for Marin County Parks temporary staging for the Marin, uh, Marin Center while that facility is undergoing seismic retrofitting, as well as $30,000 for a cultural services, arts, and strategic plan. And with that, I'll leave it over to Matthew. Next steps. All right. So this is our wrap-up slide, uh, and we're, then we're happy to answer questions. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, we go into these budget hearings knowing that there's work that still needs to be done. And, uh, and so some examples of that going in uh, and I'm sure there might be more as we go through the next three days, 
the first one I mentioned earlier, the in-home support services and the negotiations that are going to happen with that. We know that we're going to need to be a part of that. And, um, and so we look forward to those discussions. Um, we have a supervisor subcommittee of Lucan and Sackett working on juvenile justice and kind of long-term solutions for that. And so Marlon Washington is leading that effort and will be setting up the, that working group uh, this summer. Um, Sheriff Oversight, we, we came to your board recently and now we're working towards creating the ordinance and the staffing for that effort. Uh, and so we know there's work to be done for that implementation. Aging and adult services, you know, I also mentioned that, that we know that there's follow-up work with the stakeholders on, in that regard. Uh, racial budget equity tool, uh, Jamila is gonna be talking a little bit more about this at the next presentation, uh, but that will really be, um, you know, kind of a central focus of our next two-year budget. Uh, and we've done some piloting and now we would be rolling it out to all departments uh, over the coming fiscal year. Uh, as Josh, Josh mentioned, um, district attorney. Uh, so I think there's both short-term staffing discussions that that we're having with the, the DA's office, as well as um, jointly working on an organizational study that would look at the efficiencies of the office and the staffing level, levels of the office uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the federally funded re, uh, rental assistance, working on a transition plan for that. And uh, Dan will be talking more about the expected results of the community survey and our next steps around st strategic planning for the organization. So with that, uh, happy to, Josh and I are happy to answer any questions you may have. Uh, supervisors, questions? Gary, of course, please. <laughs> um, Thank you very much, Josh and Matthew, that there's a lot um, to digest mm -hmm. and really appreciate you making it digestible um, for us. Uh, I, I'm impressed. <laughs> um, I wanted to look at the um, living wage ordinance showed an allocation of $550,000, but we talked about IHSS at $500,000. Can you just speak yeah. to the difference there? Yeah. Uh the living wage ordinance is larger than just IHSS workers. And so the there's 500,000 for the IHSS workers and about 50,000 for county employee positions that we need to increase the wage rates. A lot of those are like student internships and things like that, where the, the funding would be increased, uh, summer crews and things like that. And this budget allocation would, would go into place effective January? Effective January. You know, so what we are trying to do is, is meet that goal of $18 an hour living wage uh, by January 24. And can you speak to whether or not we're maximizing the federal and state um, matching dollars for IHSS? Yeah, I, I tried to speak to a little bit earlier. Uh, the state participates currently will participate up to 1873. Um, and so that's what I was saying. When we do negotiations, I think there are opportunities that um, to go above the $18 an hour. And like I said, over the last three years, we've tried to differentiate actually the living wage from the IHSS wages. They don't need to be the same. And in some ways they're, they're distinctly different. So um, Yes, there's still opportunities there. Okay, thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, 
Thank you, Matthew and Josh. On uh, slide eight, Josh, um, can you describe the sales tax and TOT and how the recovery's gone with that as far as a revenue source? I know you project it to be moderate growth. Just talk a little bit about has TOT recovered to pre, pre COVID? I think sales tax has actually performed pretty well, if I'm correct. Sure. Thank you, uh, Supervisor Bergani. And I could probably come back with more details, but currently this uh, this budget in the general fund has TOT, so TOT1 at $5.8 million. It's approximately 3% growth from the prior year. Uh, and then with uh, West Marin TOT, we, so general fund and West Marin TOT, the new, the new TOT, we have that budget set at 7.4. That also includes a roughly 3% um, expected growth. And we are seeing uh, strong growth in that area. I think, uh, obviously, when we first started the West Marin TOT, there was a, a, a big increase. And then that, is, that, that general change has slowed down. But that's really just as more and more people, uh, as the enforcement, I guess, um, really picks up and stabilizes. Great. And then on slide 12, <clears throat> regarding reserves, it would be helpful at some point or some place have a list of all our reserves because I know I get confused and I don't know if that's on the website or somewhere to easily go and look and see what all the reserves are because I know we have several several categories so if you could do that I appreciate it um, then on slide 13 um, the big the big blue box which is taxes I think it would be helpful maybe if you described what's included in that because I often hear property tax owners saying Oh, we're paying 40 something percent because that's what the budget shows. But could you talk a little bit about what components make up that 42 percent? Uh, yes, I can. Thank you. So, uh, 40 42 uh, percent that again, that is the all funds. So, I, I would stress that that is not just property tax, that would include uh, parks measure A, that would include. Uh, a variety of sales taxes and gas taxes and things like that across our funds. But generally speaking, uh, our core property tax, uh, that makes up a little bit less than 40%. Uh, it's around 35%, depending on which category you're looking at. Um, the remainder of that comes from a variety of property transfer taxes um, at approximately uh, 2%. Sales tax and TOT are a much smaller portion of that at uh, roughly 3% combined, um, as well as uh, our ERAF taxes as well. Um, I can provide a higher level summary as well, though, uh, you know, in, in the coming days as well. That might be helpful. Okay. We have a good understanding. Thank you. Yeah, Josh, if I could ask you to repeat, did you say sales tax is 3% and, and TOT is too? The combination of sales tax and, and TOT, excuse me, I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong number here. It's approximately 4%, the combination of sales tax and TOT across all funds. For the entire county, is that correct? Yeah, and, the yeah let me like highlight a little bit on sales tax. So sales tax, um, we get a public safety sales tax, which is a bigger portion of revenue. Uh, what Josh is referring to is point of sale revenue that in the unincorporated area. So because much of the retail is not in the in unincorporated area, it has been a, a fairly small portion of our budget. But sales tax like Prop 172, I think that's intergovernmental revenue in our as a category for us. 
and that's a significant funding source for our public safety departments. And then also realignment revenue in HHS comes from sales tax as well. So we're more dependent on sales tax than that would indicate. But as far as just straightforward point of sale sales tax, that's a relatively small portion of our budget. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Good clarification. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry. One more. Yeah. Uh, slide 24, uh, reference to CAL FIRE funded two additional wild crews, wildfire crews in West Marin. Just, just to clarify, that's really countywide and even statewide that they're looking for those crews to be available to honor our contract. It's not just for West Marin at all. They're housed in West Marin, but they're not necessarily just for West Marin. So yes, that's correct. Thank you. Would you like more information? Could we have maybe over the next couple of days um, a update about the aging and adult services, either from Daniel or Director McLaren, just identifying what is in the works? I think, yeah, that why don't we plan on doing Thursday afternoon, we were going to have departments, any kind of follow-up issues that have been addressed. If so if that's okay with you, I can have HHS come Thursday afternoon and we can have an update on that. I think that'd be great because I know there's there are things happening that mm -hmm. were identified and that studied, so it'd be good to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I just uh, two quick questions. I know on slide 19, we mentioned flat retiree obligation costs as well as our contribution to our retiree health trust. Uh, how often do we get an analysis of kind of our, our levels of, of funding for both um, pension and retiree health? Is that an annual analysis or? It, it's kind of, there's two answers, right? So for pension, clearly annual, that's an analysis and, and the pension system, you know, is required to do an annual actuarial assessment. For retiree health, we do it every two years. And so, you know, so we do that actuarial assumption. The policy that we uh, set last year was that we were seeing, um, you know, market earnings that were helping the pension system, but we were still only 40 to 60% funded in retiree health. And so what we were, what we did is he said, let's look at, you know, all the areas where we have retiree obligations and let's flatten that contribution and to the extent we have pension savings we'll put that in the retiree health and so that's what josh was referring to but we do an annual evaluation of pensions and biannual and retiree health gotcha and what time of year is the the annual one for pensions they they do it that they do it kind of yeah, february february yeah. okay yeah uh, and then second question also kind of related to the changing, um, you know, financial markets that are always uh, in flux these days, uh, county's investment policy, uh, how often, you know, with, with the reserves that we have, is that something that we look at regularly or is it, is it sort of set up to bear these fluctuations in terms of where we are investing our reserves yeah. um, or given, given the, the recent changes, it's something we should yeah. be looking at. Sooner. There's a treasury oversight. And then we also have an annual uh, an, uh, investment policy that comes to your board for approval every year. But I would say, you know, generally speaking, the treasury is very conservative in their investments. So we don't get into the stock market and things like that around our treasury investments. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. Excellent job. Um, drilling down on net county cost. Thank you so much for that um, uh, 
next layer in terms of understanding what net county cost is. Um, but I do have a question and I'm on slide 15. So I'm making the assumption and maybe I shouldn't that generally um, we are probably augmenting external revenues uh, for in various service areas for those service areas that are countywide and those things that aren't more so than our, than our quote municipal services, but maybe I'm wrong there. And if not, if I am, or if I am wrong, I'd love to see the breakout there to see to what degree we, we augment or enhance services and go into our general fund to um, enhance, enhance oh. services, both countywide and also the countywide bucket and the municipal bucket. Yeah. So on net county costs, you know, it, one way of thinking of it is uh, general fund subsidy. That's another way of thinking about it, is where do you take those precious uh, property tax dollars and contribute it. And I would say, I don't think there's a, you know, we do more net county costs on countywide than municipal. So, you know, uh, net county costs of patrol services of the sheriff are, you know, are, are significant because we don't have a lot of revenues that go to cover patrol, right? right, right, right. We have that mandate, but we don't have the revenues. So, so, um, and in some ways, some of the countywide programs, we do have a, a richer revenue stream. That's one of the reasons, even though health and human services is our biggest department and service area, they get more state and federal revenue. So we have to use less net county costs for general fund support. So I think it would require more analysis, but I, I don't think it's one of these things where we do more in one area or the other. It really depends on the program and the in, impacts and you know our priorities. Right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that mm -hmm. um, and, and the slide. Mm -hmm. um, and then just, uh, Josh, maybe at a later date or another time, not necessarily even for this budget cycle, back to the whole property tax um, picture. I think it's that's one of the things um, that I get a lot of questions about is where do our property tax dollars go? And I think there's, and, and, and that's a question that can be asked whether you're in a city or, or level. And I think that would be, I don't mean in terms of service area. Okay. I mean that per dollar of property tax, how is it broken up? Some of it goes to state, some of it goes to county, some of it goes. So I think that is just a good general information slide for folks. Yeah, and and you know, generally speaking, the county gets about twenty-two cents on the dollar for property tax, and then about sixty percent goes to local schools, and then the rest goes to special districts and cities. Yeah, well, yeah. I'd like to have that Good. as base. But we can stuff. get to that breakdown. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that was it. Oh, um, and just to underscore and make sure is um, the the big change um, I'm looking at uh, slide 25 and it actually this was apparent on a couple other slides so that 40% increase in community service is really related to we sort of held held back on the on the budget in terms of the, the spreadsheet how much was going towards parks etc because we didn't know about measure a we never actually had a lapse in services because uh, yeah but um, it's really that if we were looking at uh, those percentages on comparison to several years ago, it would not be anywhere near 40%. Yeah, yeah. I think the challenge is that we, we do our comparisons adopted budget to adopted budget. And last year's adopted budget did not have $16 million in sales tax revenue for right. Measure A. And right. so that's why you have such a big variance uh, for parks. Yeah, but four years ago, we did have money in there. Yeah. yeah. That's mm -hmm. it. Thanks, Josh.
No, uh, no additional questions for me, but just appreciation for the breakout on countywide and municipal. Uh, I think that's very helpful. Okay, <laughs> I think that moves us to our next portion. Yes. So uh, Jamila Jordan, our uh, racial budget equ racial equity director, will be presenting an update. All right, good afternoon to the board and to those here in chambers and those streaming in here today. It's great to be with you all. Thank you so much for the time on today's agenda. My name is Jamila Jordan and I'm the county's equity director. And today I'd like to provide a high level overview of our countywide equity initiatives and priorities. So as research and data indicates, Marin is currently the second most racially disparate county in California, which means that lower income communities of color are faring worse than our white counterparts here in the county in the areas of health, wealth, education, among other indicators. And the pandemic also greatly exacerbated these racial disparities for our most vulnerable community members. So it's with a real sense of intentionality and commitment that we in the county are focused on applying resources where the needs are the greatest so that we can minimize and eventually eliminate these racial disparities. I also wanna acknowledge the comments made uh, during public comment earlier and particularly around age and disability. And so we take a real intersectional approach to this work, meaning that we look across all of our identities, including age, disability, gender, sexual orientation, and other factors that make up who we are as people and how we move in the world but we lead with the race equity lens uh, because we know when we do that, we're able to lift up all of our marginalized communities. So our race equity work, everyone, is really a pillar of our continuous improvement framework. And our approach is grounded in national best practice. And it's really led by the Government Alliance on Race and Equity, also known as GARE. And what I appreciate about this graphic is that it clearly shows that race equity isn't a final destination uh, that we'll arrive at once we check off a certain number of boxes, but instead it's an ongoing journey to consistently improve our policies, our practices, and our budgets, and really drive anti-racist outcomes so that we can all thrive here in Marin County and achieve our highest potential. And in a moment, my colleague Dan Eilerman is going to talk with you a little bit more about our approach to continuous improvement here in the county. So the first initiative that I'd like to update you all on is our Race Equity Action Plan, also known as REAP. And this plan was approved by your board last year, and you instructed our Office of Equity to move into implementation with the $1.7 million allocation from the Sheriff Corners budget. And a wise African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So it's with that spirit and that ancestral wisdom that we put together a dynamic implementation team made up of community members who were a part of developing that original race equity action plan, nonprofit partners such as Community Action Marin, the Workforce Alliance of the North Bay, Play Marin, Legal Aid, the College of Marin, 
as well as our jurisdictional partners who are involved in this work, including cities like San Rafael and Novato, Mill Valley, and, and other community partners as well. And then we also brought in our county partners like HHS and CDA. So uh, the purpose of this group is really to develop work plans to implement the priority actions that are in that REAP document. And there are three priority areas in that plan. One is mental health, the other is housing and economic opportunity. And so I wanna share with you the implementation approach that we've developed over the last few months to just bring you up to speed on that great work that's been going on. And I wanna start with economic opportunity and there's been so much talk today around wage increases. And so we are also very much focused on that through a race equity lens. And we know that many individuals and families just can't simply afford to live here on a minimum wage salary. So for example, our childcare providers, our home health aides, our restaurant workers, retail workforce, they're priced out and they go to other places to seek work. So this minimum wage uh, increase would make us more attractive as a county. And so we're proposing a minimum wage increase of beginning at $18 an hour as a starting point towards a meaningful wage increase. And this will be followed by a graduated minimum wage increase to about $24.75 by 2033. And our research indicates that this would minimize the burden to small businesses and give market forces some time to adjust, which we know it'll take a little time to do so. The other item I wanna call your attention to is around supporting entrepreneurs of color through community marketplaces. And one of the key initiatives here is partnering with our community farmers markets, our outdoor marketplaces to make sure that we're supporting our immigrant and communities of color who want to seek out these micro enterprise opportunities. So this would happen in the form of subsidized or fee wave booth spaces, assistance with sales permits, for example. We're also thinking through a permanent micro enterprise vending location here at the Civic Center. So in our, in our cafeteria area, that would allow the vendors to really tap into not only county employees, but also visitors, clients of the county who come here for services. In addition to that, partnering with the Marin Small Business Development Center to provide free and multilingual business planning. Oftentimes these groups need support with startup costs, uh, with how to scale their businesses, and just some general counseling on what to do in order to be successful. So this is some of the support that we plan to provide via the Race Equity Action Plan. I wanna pivot now to talk about housing, which is the second priority area that was listed up in the plan. And we've actually moved to this tagline around homelessness to housed to home ownership because there's a spectrum around housing as you all know. And so the first item to mention is around supporting our homeless and unhoused populations uh, through this homeless prevention framework. And one action here is providing more data, seeking out more data uh, for the unhoused in Marin. For example, like the California supporting uh, the annual point in time count, which is one really vital data source for us to use. Another thing to call your attention to is around uh, rent stabilization opportunities. And I'm thinking specifically about tenant protections, voucher strategies. We heard a moment ago from our colleague, Gina at Community Action Marin, who spoke to the Emergency Rental Assistance Program and the fact that they um, are um, somewhat overrun with, with requests at this point. And so we are hearing that in the same vein through our race equity action work as well. The other item is expanding pathways to home ownership. 
And we know that sometimes it's it's maybe a little bit easier to, to purchase a home, but how do you stay in that home? And so we want to provide support, loan support, as well as technical assistance to help people stay in their homes once they're able to achieve that. And the last one to call your attention to is around uh, community land trusts. And this is something that we know has been a topic of discussion for many, many years here in the county. Uh, some successful land trusts have been launched and we wanna do so in our communities of color here in the county. Uh, but we recognize that there's a lot of groundwork, there's some planning that needs to happen. And so what you see in this action is additional research needed to make sure that we go about it in a way that's smart and really feasible for certain communities here in the county. The last item I wanna call your attention to is around our mental health priority area. And one thing to mention here is that we really were focused on not reinventing the wheel through this race equity action plan, but instead leveraging and building on the great work that our partners are doing. And so in that vein, uh, this group decided to really focus on aligning our actions with the Mental Health Services Act three-year plan from 2023 to 2026. There's a lot of great work that was been done through that effort. And so we wanted to make sure that we were speaking the same language and really amplifying that effort. And so the group decided to focus in on collaboration between the county and our private mental health providers uh, to take on more clients using a sliding scale model so that our folks who are uninsured can, can take advantage of mental health services here in the county. The other is developing new and amplifying existing peer mental health support groups. I'm really modeling this after the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And the last one to mention is around uh, healing arts. And people find that the arts is a great way to uh, address some of our mental health issues here in the country. And so how can we support that through this particular uh, planning process? So those are the components of our three priority areas that the group has landed on. And what we plan to do is come back to your board in the fall of this year with some very specific recommendations around budget and resource allocations, resource requests, uh, key partnerships that we envision necessary to make this work real, and then what are the metrics for accountability? So those are some of the highlights of our recent Race Equity Action Plan work. I know we're going to have questions a little later on, so I'm going to move us on if that's all right, and I will uh, be sure to have time for comments and discussion. So the next item that I want to bring your attention to is our Race Equity Budget Tool, and this is something that we're very much excited about in the Office of Equity and I hope countywide as well. And this tool as a reminder to, to folks here is really a decision-making model that purposefully considers race and how we allocate our budgets and how we invest our resources. And so what we appreciate about it is that it gives our departments an opportunity to really think critically about what's their role in advancing race equity here in the county and what can they do to provide a deeper analysis of how their budgets and the programs are really meeting the needs of our disproportionately impacted communities. And so we have a couple of questions, we call it our equity lens that we use in the tool. And some of the questions that you might be interested in are one, how does this proposal benefit or burden our, our staff or communities of color? Uh, what data is being used to develop the proposal's conclusions? How have you been engaging communities in this work, the communities who are impacted by whatever that budget or policy decision is? And then again, you know, accountability is crucial. What metrics are we using to hold ourselves to task around doing what we said we would do? So that's essentially what the tool is asking our staff to consider. Um, I am excited to share that we've had a pilot that was launched and we had five brave departments uh, step to the plate with us and pilot this tool. And uh, I'm gonna invite my colleagues to come on up. And as they're doing that, 
I want to speak to, I'm inviting Kevin Wright and David Sutton, Kevin from Parks and David from the Public Defenders to, to co-present this with me. I really am excited to, for them to share some of these highlights. But before I invite them to speak, I wanted to just share what some of the other pilot departments are working on. And so we have HHS, which is really focused on increasing equitable representation in whole person care housing programs. So they're using the tool to evaluate how do we represent and make sure that our communities, particularly our communities of color, are taking advantage of these housing programs through whole person care. DPW, we presented last time around in March for you all to uh, learn a little bit more about how do we incorporate equity into the county's paving programs. CDA also presented in the March uh, budget hearings around their pilot of incorporating equity into food micro business and home kitchen permitting and inspection processes. So how do we make it easier for our entrepreneurs to take advantage of that? And then I'm excited to have Kevin and David here with me today to talk through their pilot programs of using the race equity budget tool. So first up, I wanna invite Kevin, take it away. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon board, nice to see you all. Uh, the Office of Equity, well, first of all, I just want to say I have a lot of hard questions that mm -hmm. I send to Jamila and her team all the time, and they're always available, and I just really appreciate them for always being there to, to work through the hard stuff with us. Um, that being said, they also invited us to do this pilot project, and we, after talking about a variety of things Parks is doing, decided to focus it this year on the Community Grant Program. This is a Measure A-funded grant program that provides grants roughly in the amount of $8,000 a piece. Um, we dedicate about $200,000 in our budget every year toward these grants and they fund equitable park access. And so basically this has created a broad network of partners over the last 10 years, um, social serving organizations, uh, community-based organizations that basically are interested in bringing their programs, their communities outdoors and through data, we've focused on um, several different communities, obviously communities of color across Marin. We focus on uh, older adults as well as uh, young people in their teens and early 20s. And we focus on um, people with disabilities. And so it's been an incredibly popular program. We basically expand um, almost all the grant funding every year and it's developed, it's, it's basically helped to create sort of a feedback mechanism through these relationships, um, as well as a lot of learning as our staff work with these communities in the parks. When we applied the race equity budget tool, we learned uh, something important, which is that we were doing a lot right uh, in the program. The thing that we needed to do better was to uh, provide or find more diversity for the first part um, or the first group that reviews the application. So. Just to quickly outline the process, it starts with a group of staff and community members that take a look at the applications. Their sort of initial analysis and recommendations go to the Parks Commission to take a look at, and then ultimately the Parks Commission recommends to your board a whole suite of grants. You'll see this happen in September um, when the Parks Commission does that, and then you'll get the recommendations from them. Uh, basically, we look to a couple of things. One, we have a more diverse Parks Commission, which is wonderful. And so we're able to look to that commission for leadership uh, and um, basically people of color who grew up in the community are now leading us um, and telling us um, how to uh, do a better job as parks. We also have a wonderful parks equity roundtable of roughly 40 organizations, um, leaders, community members who are deeply invested in parks. Um, many are from communities of color, grew up here. And so um, three people, Gio Miramontes, Samantha Ramirez, and uh, Yolanda Oviedo um, participated this year. And it really reminded me of this research um, 
that we used to share when we used to train the county in racial equity, which is diversity makes us smarter. Because when you add diversity to your working teams, you come out of that interaction with ideas that you never would have thought of as a not diverse team. So the things that we came out with were things like improving our evaluation process, coming up with clearer goals, but specifically making sure that we're serving the target communities through these trips that we mean to be and being more intentional about that. Uh, we're going to focus more on on-call transportation and connecting those resources to the community. We've heard about that for years and we're gonna take steps to do that. Uh, storytelling to inspire more community members. So it's not just happening in the community grant trips themselves, but in the broader community. And then finally, um, I thought this was really interesting, asking more information about how the grant funding flows through organizations to make sure that people who are actually providing the services, staff across all levels are receiving funding equitably. Um, there's living wage, things mm -hmm. like that. So um, you can see more about our Parks Equity Roundtable up here. I just wanna say that there are four elements that made this possible for us. One is just having the policy framework in the first place, the race equity budget tool to be able to make these structural changes. It's incredible to have a tool like this. It's really simple if you like understand it, have the resources and gives you some basic steps to take in your budget development, in your resource allocations and how you engage communities or collect data. So there's that piece. There's the fact that Parks has been collecting data and have been having community conversations for years, which we can just draw on that and make sure that our grant programs are focused in the right direction. Uh, and two more things. I just wanna say um, the Parks Equity Roundtable is based on reciprocal relationships. So we've had these relationships for years and it's really ongoing friendships with these community leaders and we can call on each other you know, when we need each other. And finally, um, I just really wanna appreciate our department heads I've seen equity work fail time and time again because there isn't the support and buy-in from department heads, assistant department heads, and Max Courtney and Chris Chamberlain have been incredible champions, so supportive of staff. And it's why things like an increased budget for the community grant program or park fee elimination have happened at all once you know the data reaches that level. Um, one last thing I just wanna mention, the race equity budget tool has been incredibly valuable for us beyond this 10 year old grant program that we have. We also applied uh, this framework to the measure a expenditure plan, you know, voters voted on that last year. As the community was reconsidering possible changes to that we looked at it through an equity lens and made some changes to invest more in park core areas. Um, there have also been the park fees discussion we applied this lens to that whole discussion and that approach, um, including a great amount of diversity in those conversations to identify that goal. And we have a new sustainable agriculture and food systems grant program being rolled out that you might be aware of. And we're also working closely with the Office of Equity and applying this tool to, that to make sure that it's another equitable grant program that we have available to the community. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. Appreciate your comments. Let's go ahead and go to David. Good afternoon, uh, President Moulton Peters and members of the Board of Supervisors. Um, as, as you'll see, once the, the slides are actually up on the, uh, the screen, I actually want to flip this slide. Um, and we're, we're focusing on, on Clean Slate and the Racial Equity Budget Toolkit and how we're applying a, a racial, racially equitable lens to Clean Slate. Um, traditional Clean Slate programs uh, usually are, are, are grown from public defender's offices and are only public defender's offices focusing on uh, expunging and sealing uh, prior criminal criminal convictions. Um, Marin County's program is, is truly innovative uh, through partnership with other organizations within the county, as well as partnerships through community-based organizations, uh, providing social safety net services, 
as well as uh, behavioral health services and, and job opportunities and job training to individuals who are formally justice involved. Um, and, and doing this in, in a constant manner, in a constant uh, events and, and constantly engaging community members throughout the county. Uh, and it's imperative that we do this right and that we imply, apply, excuse me, uh, an equity lens to this work. Uh, predominantly individuals who are engaged in the individuals of, of color, persons of color, uh, coming from lower uh, economic, social, socioeconomic status, uh, and often non-English speakers. Uh, so it's, it's imperative, it, even with our innovative program uh, and Clean Slate, that we get this right, uh, and we do it right in the first instance, uh, and that we're delivering our services uh, in a wholesome fashion. Uh, delivering these, these services across the board. Uh, and going on to the second slide, making sure that we're both tracking needs uh, that, that community members have when they approach uh, the public defender's office, the probation office, uh, health and human services, uh, and essentially making sure that one entry is an entry into all of these services. Uh, and not only making sure that, the, that uh, we're creating a, an equitable entry path, but that our services are, are being provided to those most in need uh, and that we're doing it in a smart fashion. So tracking success, making sure that if an individual approaches the public defender's office uh, and our staff, uh, who is you know, first and foremost looking into sealing or expunging a historical criminal conviction, also is asking questions. Is there a social safety net need? Do you have a CalFresh need? Do you have an employment opportunity need? Uh, is there a behavioral health need? And not only just taking and capturing that information, uh, but cross-training, passing on data, uh, and actually making sure and ensuring that individuals are connected to Health and Human Services, to BHRS, uh, to CBO partnerships, and having our staff have a, a warm point person in those organizations to make sure and, and ensure that community members actually make it into those systems and, then a and that a meaningful intake occurs and that the services are actually provided. Uh, you know, we, we want to access that data and actually follow individuals through each one of our systems to ensure that uh, individuals are actually successful through these programs, uh, that we're providing these community uh, members with county services that uh, they need and that, that they deserve, frankly. Uh, and, and also, you know, ensuring that, that this is true crime prevention, if you think about it, uh, that individuals thrive not only uh, in the community economically, uh, through mental health, through social, social services, so that they do not re-enter. Uh, the criminal legal system. Uh, and it, for individuals who may contact us and not need public defender services, never enter the criminal legal system in the first instance because we are connecting them uh, with community-based services that would keep them out of, of uh, keep them from becoming clients in the first instance. Um, so with that, uh, I, I would just really want to thank Jamila Jordan as well as uh, Gary Besser, Office of Equity for their support, as well as uh, Division Director D'Angelo Play from uh, Health and Human Services and Dr. Benita McLaren, uh, and especially uh, the county's probation officer, Marlon Washington. Great, thanks so much. So I, I wanna just express again, my appreciation to both David, Kevin, and all of the members of our pilot departments because we've learned an incredible amount of information and um, what we want to tweak in the refinement of the tool before we launch it countywide. So Kevin mentioned asking the tough questions and we love it because it makes us ready. It gets us prepared for what we anticipate will come from the broader county populace when we roll it out. So thank you again. Appreciate you both. So I want to share just a couple of highlights as to what we've been learning through the pilot. 
Um, Kevin and David touched on a few of the, the pieces there, but one of the things that we're hearing is that, um, you know, applying a race equity lens to service delivery or data, for example, data tracking is a new concept for a lot of our staff here in the county, right? We're also realizing that for others, um, they really know what their desired equity goals are. They have a real understanding of what they want to accomplish through their particular budget or policy or program, but they may be unsure about where to get the data in the way of equity indicators, for example, maybe unsure about what partners or stakeholders to engage in this work. When we talk about engaging the community that's most impacted, how to measure the outcomes from a race equity standpoint. So those are some things that they needed support with. So it's a real spectrum as to where our staff fall and we wanna meet them wherever they are in their journey of this race equity work. Another thing to call your attention to is around um, we want to refine the tool to make sure that it's not just for fiscal decisions. A lot of what we heard is, Jamila, I think this is great. I love the tool, but I'm not making a budgetary decision. But I still want to be really specific and intentional about applying a race equity lens. Can I still use the tool for that? So we're going to add language that really helps people understand the connection beyond just the budget, which is very important, we know, but how else can you use this tool to improve or amplify the equity considerations in your particular plan or proposal? The other piece to mention is around describing how the tool can be used um, for budget change proposals, for our staff reports and letters that go to you all. So for example, equity impact statements is another thing that we learned can really be beefed up, so to speak. Um, and so we really wanna support our, our staff in building their capacity and building their muscle around how do you put together a really thoughtful and robust equity impact statement that takes into consideration who's, in, who's impacted, who's benefiting, who's burdened by a particular proposal. Um, the other piece is around equity indicators and a database to really support that. We've been using a lot of external databases to support this work. And we're thinking through, perhaps there's a, a value, an added value in us creating an internal equity database for our staff to use uh, for their various initiatives. And then the last thing to mention is around more examples. And so I really appreciate, as I mentioned, Kevin and, and David speaking to their experience in using the tool. And what we heard is that it will be so valuable once we have more examples of departments actually using the tool so that there's a library, a greater selection of department work to draw from, to learn from, so that we're not always reinventing the wheel, but we're really building on our collective knowledge and understanding. So it's been a tremendously, I think, successful pilot in that we've learned so much and uh, we're excited to get into next steps. And so we'll take all that we learned and refine the tool further and plan to have a final draft in fiscal year 24-25. It'll be widely available to all of our departments as well as our community partners who are interested in using the tool for their own benefit, their own edification in terms of how do they apply this lens in their respective fields. Training is gonna be so important. I think one of the things that we definitely learned as I mentioned is that we're on a spectrum in terms of how comfortable, how confident we feel in applying this race equity lens. And so we need to start and meet people where they are with this. And so we'll be doing a series of trainings that will go out around how do you use the tool? How do you write a really thoughtful equity impact statement? How do you find the right data sources to make sure that you are uh, being data driven in your analysis? And then the last thing to mention is that we really wanna weave in this race equity budget tool into our broader county budget process. So I really appreciate Josh Josh's uh, openness and 
and commitment to supporting that. So our team will be uh, participating in budget kickoffs with the various departments, participating in the review of the department work plans, participating in the review of the budget change proposals. And so we're really seeking to embed ourselves into the infrastructure of how folks submit their budgets and go about their budget work. So that's a bit of a synopsis around our, our race equity budget tool. And I'm gonna move us forward into the next part. I have just two other things I wanna share with you here today. And one of our favorite topics here in the Office of Equity is participatory budgeting. And this is a very much a feel good effort um, that has uh, real meaning to a lot of our community members. And for those who are unaware, uh, participatory budgeting, we call it PB for short, is really a democratic process where community members decide how to spend part of a public budget. And what we appreciate and love about it is that it gives people real power over real money. And so we here in the County of Marin have allocated about two and a half million dollars to fund community initiated projects that advance equity. And we wanted to focus in again in the spirit and the vein of putting money where the needs are the greatest. We wanted to hone in on a few of our target or prioritized communities. We used a tool called the Healthy Places Index to help us understand and surface which communities those are. And we found that it includes Marin City, parts of West Marin, parts of Novato, uh, parts of San Rafael, including the canal as well. And these are our disproportionately impacted communities here in the county. And so we wanted to focus in this $2.5 million on those communities. And so we went out, we went out, we went to soccer fields, we went to grocery stores, we went to libraries, and we asked the question that you see on the slide here, what would you do with this $2.5 million to transform your community and to advance racial equity? And we heard everything and anything in between there. So community members were very passionate about what they shared. Um, it included housing, affordable housing issues. Some of it is no surprise to us, nothing earth shattering, but I think the, the real creativity is how they plan to address these issues. And so uh, we put together this online tool for folks to chime in as well. We heard from hundreds of community members. We received thousands of likes of those various ideas that were submitted from community members. And from there, it's now about moving from that idea, turning that idea into an actual grant application, into an actual grant proposal. And so we're providing grants of 10,000 to $250,000 for our community members to take advantage of. A big part of this work is we really wanted to make sure we were hearing from new voices. We wanted to invite new individuals into this civic dialogue and discussion. And so what we realized is that support was gonna be necessary. We couldn't just say, here's this grant application, fill it out and good luck to you. Instead, we had to support people along their journey and equip them with the knowledge of how to do a budget, how to put together a timeline or a work plan, how to fill out a memorandum of understanding, for example. And so we didn't take for granted that some people, it would be new to them. And so we really wanted to provide application workshops as well as free grant writing assistance. So we had a team of grant writers who supported them on their journey every step of the way. We had a two-part application I'm really happy to share that we have received 102 final applications from folks across the county, right? Across the county. And these aren't just some of our more popular organizations. These are smaller mom and pop shops, so to speak. These are individuals, just community leaders who have an idea, they wanna make a difference, they wanna take advantage of this money. And it comes from across the county and all of those target communities that I mentioned to you. 
Some examples of what we've uh, received in the way of the applications are adopt a family, right? High impact one-on-one -on -one youth mentorship programs, trade academies are really important. We know everyone won't go to college. And so how do we support people who wanna go to the trade sector? How do we leverage shared data to advance equity? Reparations for justice and healing is another idea that was mentioned. Climate resiliency in West Marin. Uh, a lot of programming around financial literacy, sports, music, arts for youth. So these are some of the things, some of the projects that have been submitted thus far. And we have our work cut out for us in terms of how we'll review and evaluate them. But eventually our goal is to get it down to about 20, 15 to 20 or so projects that would make it onto the community ballot. And you might be wondering, well, who can vote on this? And it's really anyone who lives, works, owns a business or attends school in Marin County. And we plan to vote online and in person to make it really convenient for people. And that'll happen likely in October or November of this year. So that's the voting work that we have lined up for us and more to come on that as we uh, continue to refine that approach. And then from there, everybody, we'd fund the winning proposals. And after that, we would implement, or I should say the applicants would implement with some support from us along the way. And the goal is really to have an improvement in county, a better place to live, work, play, and pray. And so that's our goal with participatory budgeting, as well as inviting new voices into civic dialogue and discussion. So the last thing I want to talk to you about here today, folks, is our affinity group work. And so I want to pivot it back from the, the external or the community-facing side of the house to internally, what are we doing in the county? So I mentioned our race equity budget tool. I now want to talk to you about our affinity group work. Um, for those of you who don't know, affinity groups are really a fantastic way uh, to bring employees together uh, to share a common identity or similar backgrounds. And they're a, a really a powerful structure to have conversations around awareness knowledge and action of how do we build a community that's more equitable and just. And so we're fortunate enough here in Marin County to have five affinity groups, um, and they include those that you see on the slide here. Some of them have been in operation for quite a while now, and so uh, they've really laid a lot of great groundwork and foundation for this work. And what we're doing now in terms of the Office of Equity is we want to support our affinity groups. And I think they've been doing some fantastic work along the way, but there is room and opportunity to really reinvigorate support and advocate on behalf of our affinity groups to make sure that we're creating that culture of belonging that we talk so much about here in our four walls. And so our Office of Equity team will function as something of an executive sponsor of the affinity groups uh, to make sure that they have a voice at executive level decision-making as well as an advocate on their behalf. And then we also will be administering the, uh, the budgets as well. And we'll be having an increase of 11,000 up to $25,000 uh, for the affinity group members to take advantage of. And so some of the upcoming activities that we anticipate include one-on-one -on -one conversations with the affinity group leads to make sure that we're really a better understanding what are the needs, what are the opportunities, what are the challenges that they're facing and how we can support them. Uh, we also will plan to host an affinity group summit uh, that'll be co-designed with the affinity group leads to make sure that we are all talking together, that we're understanding the issues that each affinity group has and how we can support one another, as well as a training and learning series. This is all about strategic action and healing, I think is another key goal. And so we wanna make sure that we're building the capacity of our affinity groups to really step into that leadership role of that culture of belonging that we are also very hungry to create. So those are some of the things that we'll be working on. Last but not least, I just wanna share, I've already touched on the equity impact statements that we'll have a full-on series of trainings that we plan to support our staff around. 
I'm working very much in close partnership with our human resources team, specifically the learning and organizational development unit around learning and capacity building. So a training series focused specifically on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I'm really excited to share that we plan to launch countywide racial equity teams across our departments. So this is something that was started back in 2017 and for different reasons, it, it didn't quite uh, make it into today's iteration. And so we wanna bring that back. We wanna reinvigorate those teams and provide the necessary support to make sure that this racial equity language is trickling down at all levels of staff. And then lastly is we'll continue to support our departments. I think one of the things that I'm learning as the equity director and listening to my team is, um, you know, our county departments really lean on our team to help them in this journey. And so we wanna make sure that uh, we're available to, to answer those hard questions, to be in thought partnership with them, uh, to make sure that we are doing all that we can. So with that, everybody, thank you so much for the time. Happy to take any questions or comments. Uh, I'm not I'm not seeing any questions or comments, but I also was just going to. Oh, I'm sorry, Eric, I didn't see you. Please. Uh, sorry, I, I did just have one. Uh, Jamila, thank you so much uh, for wrapping up with the affinity groups. I'm curious, uh, you know, I've learned a lot of the affinity, affinity groups, um, you know, a lot of the efforts they do, the programs they put together, a lot of times they're doing it in off hours and are, is, is something that we might be looking at is formalizing a little bit about, you know, what affinity work can be done during during work hours and what's that right balance uh, to make sure that the predict productivity is still there. Can you touch on that at all? Absolutely. You know, this equity work is really everyone's work. And so we want to make sure that people feel seen, they feel heard, they feel compensated for that. And so one of the things that we've done is to uh, make sure that our department heads and our assistant department heads provide the hours that are needed for our affinity group leaders to do the work this is on top of their existing work, right? And so we want to make sure that they have the time and space to be creative, to do what's necessary in order to fulfill their mission. So that's one is around staff time for the work. In addition to that, we're also thinking through and looking at uh, piloting a stipend program for our affinity group members so that they are compensated for the work that, again, they're doing on top of their existing work. And so looking at other models of what other jurisdictions are doing to make sure that, um, you know, we keep the energy and momentum going around this. I think for some, you know, it can um, feel like it's just a lot of extra. And we wanna make sure people know that we value and the county values this. So in the form of time, in the form of compensation, in the form of recognition as well. Uh, so it's a multifold approach. We're also looking at training, as I mentioned, as another way to sort of augment what it is that we're providing to our affinity group members. So it's a multi-dimensional, multifaceted approach, but your point is well taken. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jamila, really good update. Um, you know, I think the work that you're doing in the community has really been noticed, and especially the excitement around the PB. Always when you have a grant program, you can excite <laughs> the community. But my real question is around, <clears throat> be it the, the uh, public defenders program or parks program, how will you judge success at the end of the day? And I, I know the race, racial equity plan actually has goals and objectives in it, if I remember right. But how, how, would, how would we gauge success as we complete these programs and move, move to the next stage? We hope it becomes part of the department, I know that. But can you tell me about that or tell me what you're thinking? Sure, thank you so much for the question. You know, success, I, that's something that we think about a lot that we grapple with. What does that look like? 
And, you know, I think that the answer is different depending on the program. So Kevin's definition of success will be different from David's, right? And so that's a part of what we want our race equity budget tool to do is to really help our departments very clearly outline and delineate what does success look like? What are the metrics that we'll use to hold ourselves accountable? And so I don't have a one size fits all approach to this Supervisor Radoni, but I do think this tool will help people get more clear about what it is that we're seeking to accomplish and work backwards from there. So what's our North Star and then how do we get there? So those guiding questions, I can't state this enough, are going to be so important for us to really just begin to think and use those muscles around what does it mean to advance racial equity for the Parks Department in the way of the fee program or for Clean Slate in terms of not just expungements, but also providing success in the way of access to HHS and benefits, social service programs. Um, food stamp programs, you name it. So there are lots of ways that we can measure success, but I think the tool is really vital because it requires us to outline that from jump, from the beginning, and then work backwards from there. So uh, what we do plan to do though, to your point, is really make sure that we're documenting the journey along the way so that we can all learn from it in the spirit of continuous improvement and make sure that we're getting better each year with each program and process. And so I think that really um, speaks to our commitment around continuous improvement that we're embedding racial equity in that work. Thank you. Yeah, um, thank you so much for the presentation. It's very digestible and also has concrete actions, which I really appreciate in this work. Um, I appreciate you in the next step of supporting the county departments in the equity journey. I know this comes up occasionally. One that comes to mind for me was in a climate action plan work, you know, a very specific topic of how do we, how do we um, embed equity in electrification of vehicles. And so to know that you are supporting some of those efforts and potentially this tool can be used, you know, on, on some of those smaller things so that we have a bigger impact versus those who are working deep in the electrification, you know, trying to also bring all those pieces together. So I'm excited about this tool. The question that I have is how difficult is the tool to use? How, um, you know, staff intensive is it to use? Great question. Thanks so much for that, Supervisor Sackett. And I just wanted to point out that we invited our consultant team who's working on the electrification of vehicles to use the tool. And they uh, shared that it really gave them a shift in perspective about what they wanted to focus on. And so um, the tool is already paying dividends for others outside of the pilot. But to your question, um, you know, how difficult is it to use? We did our best to make sure that it was really streamlined in terms of what we're requiring or asking of our departments to do. But the feedback that we got is that we could simplify or condense the language in some places. We could make it even simpler for people to really digest and understand how to use it. What's the there there is what some folks mentioned to us. And so we're taking that feedback to heart and refining the tool accordingly. I think the other piece that I mentioned is around how do you use it for a non-fiscal decision? Right, that was a big part of what we heard. Um, a lot of people are very interested in using the tool, but they don't necessarily have a budget for their project or you know, that's not their mandate. So how can they still use the tool? So we're thinking through various graphics to really make it a really clear connection between the beginning and the end of what the tool's application could look like. So I think graphic versions of it is something that we'll incorporate in the next version, simplified and condensed language. And then what are other applications of the tool outside of a budget request or a budget proposal? 
Do you anticipate the tool being available to boards and commissions in the next year to really help them on establishing their work plan? Love that. Absolutely. You know, that's something that we're working actually, and I, I see Carla in the audience here. Uh, Carla has been one of our um, kind of shadow pilot members, if you will, of using the tool for the BCC, the Board and Commission program. And so that's really helped to frame a lot of their direction and next steps around how do we get boards and commissions that are more diverse, that are more racially representative of people here in this county. And so we definitely want to roll it out to them as well. So it's not only our staff, but it's our nonprofit partners as well as our boards and commissions. So it'll be uh, available for any and everyone who's interested. And I think not only the folks that are on the boards and commissions, but also what they establish as their work plan going forward. Yes. And then I just want to um, tag on to what Supervisor Lucan raised, and I think what Supervisor Rice maybe raised last week about the affinity groups and, and the need for um, where appropriate for explicit permission for folks to participate and attend in those efforts um, from the work that may be stipend, um, but also to the events and the convenings. Um, I think where, where we can, um, it's important to make it, let staff and employees know that, you know, they're encouraged and supported in attending those events, you know, when it works Thank you for that. Thanks. Thank you. Good, Jamila, thank you um, so much. And Kevin and Dave as well. Um, uh, I just, one thing to add, and um, and you just mentioned it in your last response to uh, Supervisor Sackett regarding uh, departments or, uh, you know, different divisions, what have you, um, looking to use the tool, which is described as a budget tool, actually towards uh, informing or helping them shape programs or projects. And what I, and I think that makes a lot of sense to me because um, without having seen, quote, the tool, um, it really, I imagine it has been a series of questions that are asked uh, mm -hmm. to make sure that folks are considering all angles and especially that, that one around equity and race in terms of impacts, positive or negative. But I would love to hear at a later date um, some sort of maybe anecdotal experiences that uh, different departments have had in the design of a project or a program. And I, I suspect they might be able to have a sense of how the program may have looked different if they had not applied this lens and, and this tool and this way of thinking to, to looking at their development of a program or a project or how they're to implement something. Mm -hmm. I think some of those real life examples of what changes is really important for us to understand. And, and then on bookending that both that, and, and you do, there is a slide here right at the front about the why we're doing this in terms of um, what we know historically has happened in terms of of systemic racism and 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 or just you know unconscious bias and racism and, and frankly the fact that we don't have a very diverse workforce so we don't have a diverse necessarily group of folks um, planning doing the development of a project or program and and we're learning that having that diverse uh, those diverse perspectives are so so important. Um, but so the why, the why the county has is, um, is, has elevated this and is uh, making equity and really being intentional and, and frankly um, objective mm -hmm. in, in, in how we're approaching budgeting and, and development of program project. And then uh, on the back end as well, what is the why? Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and it's both towards rooting out systemic racism that's built into institutional practices that we may not even be aware of 
And then also um, just we as individuals and human beings, we have our blind spots mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and then ultimately, you know, it's about it's about ensuring that everybody here lives in Marin County can achieve similar levels of great health, uh, educational outcomes, and what have you. So um, just think the why is really important. And I think it's really important to the 80% of the white folks who live out in the, in the community who haven't had the same challenges that many others have um, who live here in Marin County. Mm -hmm. Thank you for lifting that up, Supervisor. The why is so critical. And so I make sure to, to remark about the disparities in, in all of my comments that I make in any presentation really and truly. But I wanted to address what you mentioned a moment ago around the changes that our departments have made as a result of using the tool. So we plan to come back to your board in the fall of this year with a really detailed summary of what shifted in all of our, depart in all of our pilot departments use of the tool. Um, so Kevin touched on some of the shifts that they've made as a result. David's touched on that. We've seen some tremendous shifts in thinking and perspective from our DPW partners, as well as CDA, HHS. So there's a lot that we can share with you anecdotally, but also very factually as to how they shifted their program as a result of the tool. And so we hope that that will inspire our other departments to get on board. And I know with your support, as well as Matthew's, they will. And so we'll be there to support them in that journey. Uh, but just really appreciate the questions and the comments here today. Um, yes, thank you. I had one last comment, and that is uh, that I, in addition to your list of upcoming activities, Jamil, I think we talked about um, Supervisor Radoni and I, your Equity Board Subcommittee uh, being a home for some of the affinity group uh, items as well. And so we're happy to do that. Yeah, wonderful. I know that was wanted to have that at the board level, and we do. Yes. Great. Okay. Great. Thank you all so much. Thank you very much. Matthew, we've got some changes for the afternoon. Yes, I, I really appreciate the conversation and the discussion. Um, I think uh, given that we have nonprofit partners uh, waiting in the wings, uh, we had scheduled them at 3.30. I'm going to suggest that Dan's update on continuous improvement and strategic planning get moved to tomorrow morning ahead of the capital improvement plan presentations, if that's okay with your board, so that we can then you know begin the discussion around the nonprofit partnership program. Yes, I think that's a yes. And a five minute break so the supervisors can stand up, please. <laughs> Thank yeah. you.
Can you want to close the door too? All right, everyone, we're going to reconvene for our last item of the day. And this is our nonprofit program update. I'm going to start with Matthew Heimel and then move to public comment. All right. Well, good afternoon, uh, supervisors. And I'll just give a kind of high level overview and then looking forward to public comments and your board's feedback. Um, First of all, one of the things I want to say is that this part of the budget hearings is are informational. So you're not making any decisions this afternoon. The purpose is for us to present some initial recommendations and get your feedback. So just for everybody's uh, understanding, the nonprofit community partnership program provides one-time funding between 10,000 and 40,000 a year for local nonprofits. And part of the idea is that there are some um, program activities that don't fit clearly into one single county department. And so this is an opportunity to 
um, get funded for these uh, community uh, projects that have a public benefit that don't fit neatly into a, a county department. Um, the regular amount of funding is $650,000 from the general fund, but this is our third year of allocating some of the ARPA or COVID relief funds uh, to increase that to $950,000. So um, what's before you are initial recommendations of $700,000 with the idea that we can add another uh, $250,000 and make final recommendations Thursday afternoon. Um, so going over what has been submitted, um, we received 74 applications for $2.2 million. Um, we reviewed that with a criteria that was including what are the community benefits? Does it not duplicate uh, existing county department services? Does it support the unincorporated area of Marin? Does it leverage other funds? Is it consistent with our racial equity goals to serve our underserved community? And is it feasible and can it provide direct services to our residents? So that was the scoring criteria that our staff used to make these initial recommendations that are presented to you on this attachment. And then we also have a key um, and we would ask that if there are applicants that they could speak to their project number to help the board understand um, the the proposal that they're speaking to. And so with that uh, high level overview, I'm happy to answer any questions and look forward to the public uh, comments. The board have any questions? Then let's move to public comment. Okay. Uh, and this is the time if you'd like to come advocate one last time for your project, we're happy to hear from you, and then we'll bring it back and make some initial recommendations. Um, the way we'll do it is the supervisors will just make their recommendations of the ones they choose. So we won't be going down the list. Oh, so sorry. Yes, <laughs> come to the podium and line up. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, right. Uh, I represent Marin Humane Society, which is at the bottom of the list, 016. And I wanted to just uh, ask who among us has now or has ever had a pet in the home? One, two, three, not too many, four. Okay, a couple of us. So Marin Humane has uh, requested support for a pet safety net program. We hold four quarterly uh, community clinics that are free. They take place in Marin City, the Canal, West Marin and Novato to serve underserved pet guardians. And anyone who's ever had the benefit of a pet in the home knows about the mental and physical benefits of having that pet. So our community clinics provide free exams uh, tick and flea medication, vaccines, free food, referrals, uh, referrals to other human services organizations. And our objective is to keep pets with the guardian and out of our shelter. It's a, it's a better return on an investment of human resources. It's fiscally more responsible for us to hold community clinics where we can serve many, many people in a short period of time. And it's also an expression of compassion in our community. We get phone calls from people in tears. 
they may be between jobs, they may be living on a restricted income, uh, they may be disabled, they may have some other challenges, and they really want to take care of their pet and be a responsible pet owner. So we appeal to you and hope for your favorable, favorable consideration and thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, do I hit anything on here or no? Okay. Um, I'm here today uh, on behalf of Point Reyes National Seashore Association. That's number 049. Um, I'm Heather Clapp, the Director of Community Engagement and Philanthropy. Um, we are the nonprofit partner to the National Park Service to Point Reyes National Seashore. Uh, we partner with the National Park Service to provide opportunities for all people to experience, enhance, care for, and maintain this special seashore for present and future generations. Um, we are an, a leader in coastal conservation and environmental education. We transform park visitors into park stewards. And on behalf of our entire organization, um, I just love the topic here today that I walked into, equity. Um, we wish to thank you for considering Point Reyes National Seashore Association's application to support the Marin Youth and Parks Program, or we call it YIP for short. Um, to increase equity and access to nature in our county. Uh, YIP was piloted in 2021 to provide outdoor science and environmental education and recreation experiences from youth, from, for youth from communities historically underrepresented in public lands, including those from right here in our own county. Why? Um, as you all know, there's a lot of work to do here in Marin, um, and I really appreciate the work that is being done. Um, while it is a beautiful national seashore, um, 80 miles of coastline, and there's no entry fee. It is easily, it is not easily accessed by those who live even in neighboring count communities like Marin City, San Rafael, due to lack of transportation. Youth and Parks is a partnership between our organization and local Bay Area nonprofit organizations focused on community building and mentorship, primarily in BIPOC and low-income low communities. It allows us to offer experiences in the national park. And it's a really beautiful program. I'm looking, I have two seconds left. I just wanted to say thank you so much um, for letting me be here today and for offering funding for this program. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Leela Pratt. I first want to apologize for the uh, leaving out the mission statement. I've had uh, <laughs> five surgeries in the last uh, 14 months and I wouldn't have been able to stand here until about three days ago. So um, don't want to waste time on that, though. Uh, what I want to tell you is that, first of all, forget the first one, 001. I was so addled that I didn't realize I was uh, applying for a grant twice. And we'll just go to 007, which is uh, a Young Performers International Youth Jazz Band program. OK. And what we do is at uh, YPI, we call it Young Performers International, is we create community. That's the first part of our mission statement. We create community through music. Um, the second part of our mission statement is that we provide this for all students, regardless of their uh, economic status. And we have talented and inspirational young musicians from the Bay Area to serve and guide as uh, role models for these kids and to inspire our students. We're different from other programs because we're not wholly tuition-based. We take about uh, a third of our students or two thirds of our students on tuition 
and the rest we give full scholarships to, as well as a free musical instrument that's provided by um, uh, uh, Bananas at Large, who give us all their donations, uh, so that all of our kids are provided with a free musical instrument, free private lessons, and a free band. And the reason we're pushing band is because that's the way we cre create community. We take kids from all the different walks of Marin life. You know, we've got many, many different socioeconomic strata. When you take those together and put them in a band, those kids don't know who's who. All they care about is who's the good musician. And we want to do more of that. Did I just run out of time? You did, but that was a perfect conclusion. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Hi, good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. I'm Megan Maddock, the Executive Director of Marin Casa. We're number 25, and please excuse the, the phone notes. Uh, so Marin Casa has historically been appointed to children in the child welfare system, children who have experienced abuse and neglect. And we are asking for this funding this year to continue to expand our work to serve justice-involved youth. Um, our volunteers provide intensive one-on-one -on -one advocacy for young people in child welfare. And um, the, the research shows that young people with ACASA have better overall well-being and improved outcomes. And we'd like to do the same for our justice-involved youth. What we know about these young people is that while they may have done something that has gotten them in trouble, that often stems from need the same needs and issues as children in the child welfare system. So we are excited to do this expansion from the, um, with the support of our excellent county and community partners, some of who are in this room earlier. And this funding will help us expand into this new court system, be able to serve more young people. Um, in particular, we were asking for an additional 5,000 this year. So we typically ask for 20,000 and this year we're asking for 25,000. And that additional 5,000 is, is to help support that training on the new court system, and in particular recruitment of male identifying CASAs who we have a great need for in our program to serve these youth in particular. So thank you very much for your time and your support of, of young people and Marin CASA, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, next please. Hi, um, my name's Leanna Hartmore and I'm Communications and Next Generation Program Director for Zero Breast Cancer. I'm here to respectfully ask you to reconsider funding our project number 33, Teen-Led Breast Cancer Prevention Program. As you may be aware, Marin County has one of the highest rates of breast cancer in the state and supporting breast cancer prevention has long been a priority of the county. Starting breast cancer prevention, risk reduction strategies as teens can have a huge impact on lifetime risk of breast cancer and other chronic diseases. Equipping teens with this knowledge also empowers their families to take risk reduction strategies which can impact multiple generations. Depending on county funding starting July 1st, Zero Breast Cancer has promised four Marin County High School students internships. Three of these students come from underserved communities in Marin, two are black and one is Latina whose first language was Spanish. These internships will help them be better prepared for colleges and careers and give them the opportunity to shape breast cancer prevention programming for teens in the county. In this project, the interns will work with staff to evaluate our current multilingual breast cancer prevention materials for outreach to Marin County teens and strategize expansion. We'll use this proposed strategy and county funding to improve local outreach throughout the year. 
So we ask you to make it possible to provide these four internships this summer and improve our breast cancer risk reduction efforts for teens throughout the county this fiscal year. Thank you. Good afternoon, President Moulton Peters, supervisors. My name is Jeff Bohm with the Marine Mammal Center, number 45 on your list. You have the packet in front of you. You have highlights that were sent in late last week. I wanted to add some relevance and timeliness to the discussion and to that presentation. It was over the weekend that a report came out on the North Atlantic Ocean being at its highest ever measured temperatures this year. Things are happening globally. Things are happening locally with regard to climate change. It was in 2014 that the Marine Mammal Center launched Ocean Ambassadors, which is a middle school focused academic year long program that brings the kids and the teachers and the administrations along for the ride. The program is able, able to provide uh, stipend for the school to backfill the teacher who's out getting professional development training or out on the water on a field trip. Very importantly, able to provide transportation, which is kind of the death knell of the, the modern uh, field trip. And at the end of the day is providing STEM aligned curriculum to these students. STEM is the acronym that we know, but STEM is also the word in front of cell, STEM cell, a cell that can develop into anything. We believe our junior high students are exactly that and they've been deprived too often of that stimulation, that inspiration to get that next generation going. It's not gonna be me or my colleagues, it's going to be them who are going to be fixing the planet and we wanna start with the ocean. So we appreciate um, the support you're providing to the community in general and your consideration of our proposal. Thank you. Thank you, next please. Hi, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak and the opportunity to talk about wild care. I am Allison Hermans. I'm the communications director at Wild Care here with Nicole Trouch, who is our director of development. Wild Care, of course, is a wildlife hospital, nature education center, and wildlife advocacy organization here in San Rafael. And in every way, we provide services that no other entity in the entire county can or does. We take care of injured and orphaned animals. And of course, we provide a great deal of education, nature education, very val valid, valuable environmental education to children throughout our communities. We're, of course, uh, we're number 28 on your list. And we are asking for operating support for our wonderful programs in wildlife medicine, nature education, and wildlife advocacy. But we have some interesting things that we're dealing with this year that we haven't dealt with in the past. The main one being the avian influenza, the highly pathogenic avian influenza. We have had to change everything in our protocols, turn our courtyard into a quarantine space, and also do a tremendous amount of testing for avian influenza. And this has been something that we are happy to do because it not only benefits our wildlife patients, but it also gives us the opportunity to help the Marin County Health Department and agriculture and interests across the county deal with avian influenza, which is a, a tremendously big deal. The other thing, of course, that WildCare is looking for with the support we're asking from the county is the opportunity to, to increase our DEI opportunities for children and youth with uh, in underserved communities. And I just wanted to give a quick update. Um, as you may know, WildCare is uh, working on, excuse me, working on uh, a big project to secure a new facility, um, redeveloping the land where we are located right now in uh, Albert Park. 
and uh, we're really excited about the fact that this project has great momentum. Uh, we have a planning commission uh, date on July 11th that we're really looking forward to, and we are working on our transition plan because we will be continuing operations while we rebuild. Great, thank you. Next, please. Don Carney, Youth Transforming Justice, number 13 on your score sheet. As you know, we divert young people from juvenile justice. Uh, that system is very sticky and very hard to get out of. The more kids we keep out, the better. We moved upstream in a medical model to divert suspensions because nothing good happens when a kid's suspended unsupervised for three days. We provide substance skills survival training to kids and parents in a group setting. Uh, we've lost way too many kids to uh, substances in this county. And we've moved even further upstream most currently in going to the elementary schools and identifying through community building circles trauma and providing buffering resiliency supports for the little ones who are really over-traumatized. We're going to be going into San Pedro where all the newcomer kids are located as well as uh, Bahia Vista where there's a lot of trauma from the community itself. And we really believe that curing trauma in the elementary grades will uh, mitigate young kids from self-medicating, from being picked up by the police, from being put in probation, and ultimately ending up filling our prisons with trauma victims and mental health cases. So I really appreciate the support you've given over the years. Uh, the program is um, healthy and you can make it a little healthier. Thank you. Thank you. Eva, are you speaking? Okay, you'll be our last in the chambers and then we'll go online. Um, I think it's important to, to look at nonprofits and, and really ask some tougher questions because results haven't been what has, has been promised. And in fact, many times results aren't even required to be shown. Um, I had called last March, I'd called uh, Youth Transforming Justice, expecting an admin who'd direct me to the Form 990s for the group. Instead, I got Don Carney for 38 minutes. Um, Carney eventually admitted to me that they had never filed their Form 990s. Um, in the process of this conversation, I asked him um, why he had endorsed Judy Arnold and, and why he had supported uh, Damon Connolly, because both of these people had always voted for more SROs, higher police budgets, you know, basically very pro-law enforcement, despite a few, you know, comments to the contrary. Um, in, terms of, um, in terms of the SROs and Connolly, uh, Mr. Carney claimed that he had endorsed Connolly because Connolly had cited a study saying that SROs are harmful. Are you familiar with that study, Mr. Carney asked me. I said, yes, but Connolly still voted for the additional SRO hiring. And Carney responded that Connolly didn't have a choice. It was four to one, he couldn't vote against it, Carney claimed. I said, but since it was four to one, Connolly only forced it into a unanimous vote by voting for it. And then Carney said, well, it was an election year. And I said, but you haven't explained why you still endorsed him after that. Uh, and Carney said he did the political thing in that vote. I said, then why didn't you withhold your endorsement of him since SROs harm the juveniles you say you represent? Carney told me, I'm looking for Damon to get me on some sort of state commission to get juveniles out of the system. That was his answer. Um, you know, one of the problems with this is that because of privacy rules, we can't actually check 
uh, whether the success of um, youth transforming justice is is valid. And, and that's why I think you need to use a little more scrutiny. I'm not saying withhold money, but ask them to be a little more accountable in what they're doing and a little more consistent in terms of, um, you know, who they're supporting, if they're going to be against SROs, then be against SROs. If they're going to be against, you know, more jails, be against more jails. Thank you. Okay, we'll go online now. We have several commenters. The first speaker is caller with telephone number ending in 226. Please unmute. Caller, go ahead. Caller, it looks like you're unmuted, but we can't hear you. Please check your device. We'll come back to you. The next speaker is Hello? Go ahead. Hi. I would just like to speak on the race and equity plan, and particularly within the workforce. Um, I work in HR. I've worked there for 24 years, and I was part of the rollout of the cultural competency and equity plan. Back in you 2017. Know, we are on community budgeting, uh, community project budgeting now. Can you can you come back tomorrow morning? We'll have public comment in the morning on this. The next speaker is Erica Heinberg. Please unmute. Hello. Um, I'm Erica Heinberg, and I'm the Development Director of Resilient Neighborhoods, which uh, is a fiscally sponsored project of Sustainable Marin. And our project number for this grant opportunity is number 29. Resilient Neighborhoods is Marin County's leading climate partner for residential climate action. We offer Marin residents hope for the future by taking climate action today. So far, over 2,000 people have participated and they've reduced more than 11 million pounds annually of greenhouse gas emissions. On average, households that go through our program reduce 35% of their starting greenhouse gas emissions, and they pledge to reduce even more. With the world's CO2 emissions still rising and the ocean rising, the ocean becoming warmer with that, we decided to launch a 2030 climate challenge to Marin residents to reach 20 million pounds of carbon dioxide, dioxide emissions reduction in the next seven critical years. We've requested a grant of 30,000 from the Community Nonprofit Partners Fund to help us lead 275 Marin residents through our workshop this year with a focus on older adults, renters, and low-income households. We will ask these new participants um, to uh, be a part of our 2030 climate pledge um, and then support them over the next seven years with motivi motivating reminders and current information about financial incentives and assistance on how to take high impact actions like going all electric and switching to cleaner ways of getting around. And I'll just share one uh, testimonial from our graduate. Uh, her name was Susan. She said, thanks for the structure additional motivation, resources, enthusiasm, while also conveying the proximity of 2030 goals, which is certainly a get off the couch message. Um, we have a lot of other testimonials, but I do wanna thank say you. thank you and stay within my time. Thank, thank you. The next speaker is Carlene Cullen, please unmute. Yes, 
Good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. Um, this is Carlene Cullen. I'm the founder and executive director of Cool the Earth. Uh, as we all know, we are in a climate emergency and the US, uh, UN says that to keep warming within 1.5 degrees Celsius, uh, we have to ha reduce carbon emissions by 2030 uh, by 45%. The EPA has also assigned a social cost to carbon emissions, which is $17,000 per vehicle, per gas vehicle. Um, that's on the road that we, uh, new purchases. So that's something that we really need to consider in uh, where we place our emphasis in terms of uh, funding opportunities. Marin, of course, will directly be impacted by sea level rise, extreme weather events, agricultural production, uh, and human health and climate related deaths. Uh, specifically, the work we are proposing is to continue to uh, reach more and more Marinites. We've already worked with thousands of them. And uh, you know, one of the big issues here is equity. Uh, currently, nearly all of the EV adoption is from um, Marin homeowners, people who can charge at home. When we submitted our application uh, since that time, there have been significant advancements in charging, feasible charging options for people who live in multifamily if they have off-street parking. Uh, there are 37% of housing units in Marin County are multifamily, and we're really excited about this new opportunity. Our work would be to educate drivers who live in multifamily about the new solutions, uh, engage them with tools to work and mobilize to reach their property owners and property managers, and uh, to ensure that there's an equitable rollout and EVs aren't just relegated for the uh, for the wealthy uh, Marin homeowners. Thank you for your consideration. The next speaker is Colleen Arnold. Please unmute. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, my name is Colleen Arnold. I'm speaking on behalf of Marin Aging and Disability Institute, Maddie. Uh, we are number 57 on your docket. Maddie brings aging and disability stakeholders together to advance equity and improve lives through advocacy, collaboration, and innovation. In 2022, we partnered with Integrated Community Resources to launch the Marin Disability Coalition. It's truly a first-time vehicle to connect and build community among the county's disability-related organizations and to become more effective advocates for those living with disabilities and their caregivers. Our monthly meetings have been attended consistently by leaders of about 25 organizations, including county members. We continue to attract new members and are very proud of the community that we're building. You're all invited to our first in-person meet and greet on June 23rd. Your staff's recommendation of $10,000 in funding will help Maddie defray costs of hosting this coalition's ongoing meetings, including those associated with preparation, facilitation, accessibility, and member communications. But the Disability Coalition is not an insular endeavor or yet another silo. We seek broad community engagement by contributing to work already underway in three key priority areas, housing, caregiving, and disaster preparedness. We have begun by identifying leading organizations in each of these areas that meet specified criteria. We envision deploying our members to work closely with these organizations, bringing a disability lens and representation to help make their efforts more informed and universal. We are so grateful for our Marin County community partners, including the Park Marin County Parks and Rec, and look to continue to support and work together to make our community accessible to all. Thanks so much for your attention. The next speaker is Ellie Jellardine. Please unmute. 
Thank you so much, uh, Eli Gillardin, Marin Center for Independent Living. Supervisors, good to speak with you again, two times in one day. Um, so I'm speaking again about our caregiver registry and really the underlying impact of creating a sustainable caregiver pipeline in Marin, where our older adults and people with disabilities have access to fairly compensated direct care workforce uh, and really in order to achieve, you know, independence. Um, our caregiver registry started 44 years ago, uh, really centers on matching older adults and people with disabilities uh, with trained and skilled PCAs, supporting them in activities of day daily living, uh, creating uh, or managing medications, reducing social isolation, providing transportation, addressing food insecurity, also really looking at the pay equity issue and how we get caregivers and the direct care workforce in our county to a livable wage. Uh, our caregiver registry, uh, caregivers typically make between 27 and $35 an hour. We're also really innovating, uh, leaning into workforce trends uh, happening across the state. We secured a CalGROWS grant from the uh, California Department of Aging and are partnering with Tamil Pius Adult School to create a pathway for caregivers to uh, enroll in a home care aid program and essentially build up their skills, recruiting more caregivers into the workforce. We're also looking at expanding dementia capable capacity in CalSConnect. These are just examples again of how our caregiver workforce and our caregiver registry are leading. And finally, I just want to put a second shout out for Marine Aging and Disabilities Institute's recommendation of a disability coalition. Thank you. The next speaker is Patricia Gill. Please unmute. Hi, thank you for having me to allowing me to speak today. I want to thank the Board of Supervisors for recommending that Marin Brain Injury Network, also known as Shurik Center for Brain Injury Recovery, receive a grant award of $10,000 through the Nonprofit Community Partners Program. We are number 21 on your docket. Our organization has a unique and specialized mission to improve the quality of life for people who have had a stroke, concussion, accident, brain tumor, and other form of brain injury. We fill gaps on the continuum of healthcare to help people adjust to life changes after injury and to rebuild life skills with continued rehabilitation and ultimately thrive so they can live fully after injury. Our mission is unduplicated in Marin and throughout the Bay Area. We offer an array of services that are designed to pick up where health insurance leaves off, including offering a bilingual resource program and helping community members find resources that will help them to move forward in their life. And it's the only of its kind in Marin and beyond. Because our services are designed to serve people for months or even years after injury, and they're offered primarily in a group setting, health insurance and government sources do not reimburse us for our services. With 77% of our clients living on a low income, our services are offered free or on a sliding scale resulting in the need to fundraise 80% of our annual budget. In addition, we partner with Health and Human Services and the Office of Education to make sure that there's a program called Con Concussion Smart Marin to help protect our youth. 
Last year, we served more people than ever before. And while we are thankful to be recommended for a $10,000 grant, we do hope the county will be able, if the budget allows, to recommend and consider increasing our grant award to $20,000. The increased funding would have a tremendous impact for our small but mighty nonprofit that makes life better for over 500 people in Marin County each year. Thank you so much. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. Hi, I'd like to talk about the benefit of uh, running a nonprofit. Um, you know, there's all kinds of them, and without question, uh, most of them are pretty good. But, but there's a benefit of uh, running a nonprofit if it's if it's personal, because you get the benefit of a salary for yourself. You get <clears throat> discount your house, you uh, your car, a lot of benefits. Uh, but you could overdo it. There was an example that uh, happened with the county where. Uh, you had to disavow one person who I think was charging like a million dollars for some kind of uh, mental health and even Mark Gale had to object to it. So in a way, um, you have kind of a regular players who are on boards, uh, multi boards, and also run, maybe run several uh, nonprofits. And um, so you kind of have to wonder, like, what's in it for them? Uh, you know, they got to make a living. So uh, are they getting a salary? Are they um, getting some kind of other benefit? Are they uh, getting po uh, positioning themselves in the county for some kind of other, um, you know, some other job or something, something else that they could push or promote someone else? So I mean, I'm just wondering that um, you have you do have these issues where there are people who are um, grifters and there are um, uh, nonprofit is probably the best way to um, get a hold of some county money. Thank you. The next speaker is Ashley H. Please unmute. Good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. My name is Ashley Hurd, and I am the Executive Director of Marine Foster Care Association, number 31 on your list. I have served for seven years as a foster parent, and I'm a member of this community who deeply cares about the well-being of our most vulnerable children. Being a foster parent has been a privilege and profound experience, but I won't pretend it's always been easy. When children enter our homes, they bring with them the weight of significant trauma. We must hold space for their intense emotions and actively listen to their stories to support them in their healing process. I have witnessed firsthand the impact that loving foster care can have on the trajectory of a child's life. At the same time, fostering can be really hard. There have been times when it has deeply challenged our whole family, including our young son. Many foster families experience secondary trauma. Secondary trauma is a common byproduct of people who serve in helping roles. It is a stress response and reaction to hearing about or being witness to the firsthand traumatic experience of another. Without support to process this trauma, some families choose not to foster again. This attrition leads to a deficit in local foster families, which ultimately deeply impacts vulnerable youth. That's why I'm here to talk to you about fostering interconnection through therapy, or FIT for short. FIT is the only local program of its kind that provides therapeutic support for foster caregivers. Through therapy and support groups, FIT addresses the challenges faced by foster families, and equally important is building a network of support between these families so they are empowered to continue serving in their critical role. By retaining foster families, we ensure that children dealing with family separation don't have to be separated from everything else they know and love. We know this program works, but to make FIT sustainable, we need your support. And we're seeking your investment to anchor this project as a permanent program in our community. 
In reviewing our proposal, I ask you to reconsider our full requested amount and the broad impact of supporting foster youth and families. By keeping children within their communities, we give them the stability and love they desperately need. Thank you for your time. President Moulton-Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. I'm gonna bring it back now, Matthew, any further comments? Otherwise we'll go to supervisor recommendations. I think we're ready for your recommendations. Okay, uh, Mary, if you're willing, and then Dennis and then I'll go. I'm happy to go. So I will just go by number. Is that the best, Sandy? Okay. So number five, side by side, adding $3,000 to the county allocation. Number nine, Fairfax San Anselmo Children's Center, adding $1,000 to the county's allocation. Uh, number 12, Next Generation Scholars, adding 2,500. Number 13, Youth Transforming Justice, adding 2,500. Number 14, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of the Bay Area, adding 2,500. Number 20, Buckaloo Programs, adding 3,000. Number 24, Family and Children's Loss Center, adding 3,000. Number 25, Marin Casa, adding 2,000. 27, YMCA of San Francisco, adding 2,500. 29, Resilient Neighborhoods, adding 1,000. 31, Marin Foster Care Association, adding 2,000. 38, Marin Center for Independent Living, adding 3,000. Number 50, California Film Institute, adding 1,000. Number 56, Huckleberry Youth Programs, adding 2,000. Number 59, Cool the Earth, um, $5,000. Uh, number 62, Extra Food, 2,000. Number 65, In Spirit, 5,000. Number 70, Legal Aid, 3,000. Number 73, Jewish Family and Children's Services, Dementia Care, 3,000. And number 74, Marin Symphony Association, 1,500 to the allocation. Thank you. Thanks, thanks to everyone for their applications, which gets harder and harder every time we do it. But my choices are number 30, AIM, $10,000 to implement the RFO ordinance. Number 48, River Otter Project, 10,000. Number 52, West Marin Fund, 10,000. Number 55, Two Valleys Community Land Trust, 10,000. And number 69, In Spirit, this is the other In Spirit for the Medicare program, 10,000. I'm going to go. I got to leave it right at five. You guys caught up? Okay. So uh, I'm all right. Yes, yes, indeed. So uh, I'm going to 
uh, number 15, the Spalding Marine Center, the 10,000. Uh, number 23, the Redwoods Emergency Generator, uh, 10,000. Number 29, Resilient Neighborhoods. I'm going to add 5,000 to the staff recommendation. Marin Foster Care, I'm gonna add uh, 2,500 to the recommendation. Oh, sorry, that was number 31. Number 32, Belvedere uh, Tiburon Landmark Society, uh, 2,500. Number 38, I'm sorry, that's not right. Uh, number 45, the Marin Mammal Center, that's 10,000. And then uh, number 59, Cool the Earth, 10,000. Ready? Ready? Um, yeah, man, my thanks to everyone who was here too, that, that stayed and, and spoke and all of your projects, programs, the CBOs, nonprofits that you represent do incredible work in our county. And I think we wish we could fully fund every single request, um, but just really appreciate your work. Um, so Sandy, um, number five, which is side by side. And some of these are gonna be overlapping with uh, what other supervisors said, but I'm gonna give you a goal number. So, um, so on the side by side, whatever it takes to get up to 20,000 total. Fairfax. So you're saying 7,000 supervisor? Yes. Okay. Because we can do additive given that you're each given 50. So that's what I, that's yeah. what, that's what I'm saying. Get, yeah. I, I made marks here in the, in my, but there's been lots plus of marks. Plus seven, got it. Plus seven. Okay. Yeah. Fairfax, San Anselmo. Oh, no, that's plus two because um, we got 3,000 before. So thank you. Yeah. Gave me back some. I did. Uh, Number nine, Fairfax San Anselmo Children's Center. Um, I'd like to get that up to 40. So that would be 9,000 in addition to the one. Yeah. Um, let's see, uh, Youth Transforming Justice. Um, let's see if we could get that up to 30. So that would be another 2,500. What number? Oh, I'm sorry. That's number 13. Number 14 is Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Um, Another 2,500 there to get it up to 20,000. San Anselmo Cooperative Nursery Schools, number 18, uh, 10,000. Marin Brain Injury Network, number 21. Um, if we uh, 20, uh, um, add 10,000 so it gets up to 20,000. Let's see, uh, number 25, Marin Casa. Um, I think I'd have to add three to get that to 25,000. Uh, YMCA of San Francisco, uh, 2,500. Marin Foster Care. Um, let's see. I believe there's been... Did 20, Mary... 24 Mary, or 5 currently. Okay, so if you could add... Um, I was trying to get that up to 30,000. So 5,500. Thank you. Um, let's see, hold on. 
Let's see. Um, extra food number 62, an additional 5,000. And cool the earth, an additional 5,000. Hopefully I still have that there. What number is cool the earth? I'm sorry, 59. An additional five, okay. How am I doing? We'll check the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually did leave one off, but I'm not sure where I'm at. And that's number 30, you know? Go ahead. Like I said, we'll check the numbers, so go ahead. 33-0 breast cancer. Um, I 5,000. And I would hope that you can expand that, that intern program to involve as many youth as possible. We're going to all want another round here in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, you're up next. So that must be the veteran trick of how you do this. <laughs> I like that. Um, I, hopefully mine add up. Um, let's see. Uh, number 10, North Marine Community Services, uh, 20,000 to bring it to the full 40 for their ask. Um, number 22, Rise Scholars, an additional 10,000. Number 31, Marin Foster Care Association, 5,000. And I think with everyone else added, that should get them pretty, that might get them all the way up to 35,000 if, if my math is right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, number 47, North Bay Children's Center, an additional 10,000. And number 65, In Spirit, 5,000 which I think should bring them up to the minimum grant of 10,000. Thank you, Supervisor Sackett. And I think that's it for me. All right, going back to staff, anything additional today? No, I think that's good. Like I said, we'll recheck the numbers and um, certainly follow up if there are any questions. All right, thank you. So now we're gonna recess till nine o'clock tomorrow morning. All right. Thank you all. Thank you, Supervisor.